Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of December 16th, 2021, including Ubisoft officially confirms the return of Splinter Cell, Microsoft laments the closure of Lionhead Studios, as they should, stay tuned to the end of the episode where we talk all about Halo Infinite, including spoilers, and more. start having a problem here because you see my cat is as i just learned afraid of nerf guns and the problem is you see this week i fell down you got you guys know if you're listening to the show i'm basically a you know people always say i'm just a grown man and a kid i'm just i'm just a little kid in a grown man's body i love i love video games that means i'm just a sim i'm simply this old man stuck in a kid's body like no, no no you you gotta understand I like Chuck E. Cheese and apparently now Nerf guns. Like, I'm legitimately probably a small child with Benjamin Button syndrome in reverse or something. Something's going on here. But anyway, long story short, I don't know how it happened. I've just been going down the rabbit hole. Apparently, there's a very big Nerf community out there, people who collect and modify Nerf guns. And I just find this all incredibly cool. And unfortunately, it's led me to the point where I purchased a small Nerf gun simply for just fucking around sake i thought hey you know my cat loves to like chase around and play with little small objects um so maybe if i get a, a nerf gun she might find it cute to chase after the little dart and, and you know attack it or chew on it or chase it whatever it is because my cat loves like little toys and things like that so bring it home fire it up so excited to use this nerf gun and my cat is terrified of the Nerf gun. Every time it fires, she freaks the fuck out. She crouches like she's in the trenches of fucking World War One, and then she goes under the bed and hides. So we got a problem here. New hobby. It is My cat is making it a prohibitive experience for me. But guys, this isn't about cats. This is about Xbox because, believe it or not, you did not just click on the Nerf On podcast. No, let's nerf the nerf talk and talk about xbox because this is the xbox on podcast thank you for bearing with me through that introduction i just this is literally a a breaking development i had to talk about now guys this is our post halo infinite's campaign launch is our post game awards uh podcast this is the the worst of it is over in terms of the big wave of holiday games and big news stories and everything this is the part where the year kind of chills the fuck out for the for the remainder, you know, the remaining weeks of 2021, and we can all just kind of take a breath. Now, that's not to say we have a slow or bad news week. We we got actually some pretty decent news to talk about and some exciting stories, but it is a overall pretty like regular news week in terms of you know what we have to cover here. So nice to have that little breather after last week. Um, Thank you if you listened to last week's episode. It was a fucking doozy over three hours of just uh, I played Halo and the Game Awards suck. But, hey, that's all in the past now. Let's move on now. Speaking of Halo Infinite, I will say just at the the top, 
now that the game's been out a week, many of you have had a chance to at least play it. Many of you diehard Halo fans have probably already completed the campaign and experienced the entirety of the story. This week will be the week where we do our full-fledged campaign story discussion and spoiler. So stay tuned. I'm going to attach this all to the very end of the episode. So those of you who don't care about Halo or who didn't play the game or aren't finished with it yet can easily just bounce. This way you don't have to jump around to avoid a landmine of, of spoilers. You can just listen to a regular episode of the podcast. And then when we're done with everything that's normal, we'll jump into the spoiler cast. That way people who don't want to be there can just bounce for the week. I figure that's the easiest way to kind of handle this. So if you're looking for that review discussion, I, I solicited a lot of comments from you guys. Thank you so much for writing in. We got a lot of uh, audience feedback on their their impressions of the game and all that so we got a lot to talk about there um but until then we're just going to do our regular run of show comments news stories whatnot so timestamp if you're listening on youtube or even spotify and everything i put i put the timestamps everywhere now so you should find the timestamps if you're looking to skip straight to that or if you want to just avoid it once we're done with the news i'll let you know and you can just bounce for the week so sound good all righty guys so uh let's open up this week's podcast with a couple little just little tidbit stories, things of mild interest that we normally talk about, as well as maybe some corrections. Who knows? First thing I wanted to say is, God, it's like we're just, I'm, I'm like, let's stop talking about Halo. Anyway, speaking of Halo, but no, seriously, this is the Halo Infinite got a big multiplayer update this week. I'm sure many of you already know. They finally added some more game modes. So we finally got SWAT, which they're calling Tactical Slayer. We got Fiesta as a permanent mode instead of a temporary mode. We have Free For All. Thank God. That's all I've been asking for. And we have Classic Slayer. So you can choose all these modes a la carte, which is twofold. The reason why this is great. One, it adds more variety so you can play the way you want to play. And two, it helps ungunk the objective-based mode. So now, you know, when you're playing oddball or capture flag or whatever you won't be stuck on a team with a bunch of people who don't want to play the objective because they just want to shoot enemies because now they have their own playlist to uh properly fall into so this is pretty great all around they also tweaked the progression system a little more the challenge system a little more not that wasn't too notable in my experience but guys it is slowly getting better and better and better now we got the, the full campaign out the multiplayer is out and getting better constantly Halo Infinite feels like a pretty complete package at this point. Yes, it's still a little light on content. There's still plenty of room for improvement, but this is what I was waiting for. I was kind of a little underwhelmed last month when we surprised got the multiplayer because I wanted to have that full experience. And of course, yes, we still don't have co-op campaign. We still don't have Forge. We still don't have proper custom games. We're still lacking a lot of features and polish here and there. Sure. But I feel like the product we have right now available to us is pretty complete relative to what we had. And there's at least enough content there to where, for the time being, I'm pretty satisfied. So just uh, props to 343 for kind of being good with audience feedback and being being um, being receptive to criticism and being quick to try and get things changed. Although some of those decisions they made are like, how the fuck did this ever? Whatever. The other thing happening with Halo Infinite is this rumor going around, although we know it's true, there's leaked photos, it's, it's a thing, it's definitely happening, but there's a winter contingency kind of event going on, that's what they're calling it, the winter contingency, it is going to be kind of like a holiday event, it starts, it's going to be roughly what we what we know, Windows Central report on it, we know uh, according to that report that it's roughly two weeks long, it'll probably begin a few days before Christmas, and it will... Um, did I say two weeks? I meant two days. I meant two weeks. Um, but yeah, it'll be like a little in-game holiday event where you can unlock some holiday skins. And 
I wonder if they're going to do up the maps a little bit, like add snow or add like Santa hats or something like that, just to make it a little more festive. Halo 5 had some things like that, so it is possible, but just want to make you aware of that. It seems like an announcement, a proper announcement for that is all but confirmed, so we'll probably hear about it any day now. So that's exciting. A little over-the-holiday kind of festivities for Halo multiplayer. I think that kind of stuff is a lot of harmless fun in multiplayer games so i always i always enjoy those little holiday overlays and things like that when like destiny and call of duty do them so this is cool with that out of the way another update another oh another audience announcement i'd like to make before we get into our other uh soft mildly interesting story is for the last week of this for for the last episode of the year you guys I'm, i'm asking you the audience please help me the final episode of 2021 for Xbox on will go live two weeks from the day this podcast is going live. So on December 30th, the, 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 the second to last day of the year, that'll be our final episode for 2021. Um, remember Xbox on never takes a week off. So I will, I, there will be no, there, there's no like, ah, oh, no episode this week. It's the holidays. Nope. I'm, I'm the podcast will be here every Thursday, but our last episode is December 30th before we hit 2022 calendar year and for that episode I want to do something a little special I have a little surprise for you guys so I won't go over all that just yet but I am asking that you guys the audience if you are interested please leave a comment with your top five games of 2021 we did this last year I'd love to do it again I think it's a lot of fun I will be going over my picks and I want you guys to if you're interested to write in with your picks and you can rank them any way you want it doesn't have to be a game that came out in 2021 it just has to be your top five favorite games that you played in the calendar year 2021 and you can just keep it as simple as one through five and list the five games or you can put a little bit of information as to why you chose those games. However you want to get creative with it, however you see fit, feel free to write in. Uh, leave it on youtube.com um, slash Xbox on podcasts, and we will go all over all of those on the final episode of the year, December 30th, um, because I think that will be a lot of fun. We had a good time with it last year. Um, yeah, just feel free to get incredibly creative and ridiculous with it to whatever extent you want. Last year, I, I made... I don't want to do like a, a prestigious award ceremony of like the game uh, the wins the best art direction award uh, for Xbox on like that's that's fucking stupid. Just have fun with it. Just be like, oh, the game I enjoyed uh, uh, playing for the, the the game that gave me the least amount of erections this year was fucking uh, Fortnite or something. Whatever it is that you want to do. Um, so write in with that if you so choose to participate. Otherwise, we got another mildly interesting story I wanted to get into here. That's a little out of whack. I didn't mean to organize those in my notes like that sorry that's a little disjointed there but i I promise you the rest of the episode is pretty organized anyway the other thing i wanted to mention this is something we didn't talk about last week it kind of flew under the radar i didn't i didn't notice it until i was listening to my favorite playstation podcast and they brought it up and i said how the fuck did i miss this i missed this one in the news cycle and i missed it two at the game awards tencent who we often talk about on the show a big Chinese multimedia conglomerate that is just gobbling up talent in the games industry, going all over the world, investing in companies, a lot of independent companies, a lot of smaller publishers, a lot of independent developers, and just either buying talent or investing heavily in these companies and giving lots of money to them. We, we talked about them quite a bit just because a large portion of people who work for this company and represent this company are members of the CCP, which are you know, not to get too political, although I really don't think it's political to be like, hey, the Chinese government is shit. They literally put Uyghur Muslims in internment camps and 
kill people and if people speak ill of their government they disappear you or re-educate you and they put people in weird internment camps and they act like Taiwan's not a country and they censor their people and they don't let them access certain information and I, I think it's pretty fair to say regardless of your cultural understanding or cultural perspective any government that does that is pretty fucking bad uh so i i don't feel like it's political to say i feel like this is just for the sake of human rights pretty pretty normal just in the way of saying like hey racism is bad i feel like in that same breath it's kind of like hey the ccp is fucking evil so that's kind of why i bring this up a lot on the show uh again as i've said many times before this is not a slight against chinese people or chinese culture this is a slight against the shitty chinese government and so i i'm always wary about when tencent shows up in the news because they have tons and tons of money tons and tons of influence and they've been just injecting that money and that influence all over the games industry, all over the world. Many, many American and European and Canadian teams just throwing money left and right, investing heavily. And it's just a little worrisome. What does all that money and all that involvement mean in terms of their influence over games? We've already seen things like my, the f most famous example for me, because this affects a game I really love, is Activision, a, a, a publisher that works heavily with Tencent censored their Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War trailer in early 2020 because it showed a scene of Tiananmen Square, and they're like, uh-uh, can't have that. And so Activision just quietly removed that scene. But, you know, we can talk about Viet Cong and, and the fucking Cold War and shit all we want, but uh-uh, nah, no, no Tiananmen Square, right? Whatever. So it's just, you know, a lot of censorship and things like that. We talk about this all the time in games. It's happening more and more. And also just uh, maybe, maybe it's not a good idea for you know, for Activision, a company that is an American-based company, a company that should act with American view, uh, views and ideals to be like, hey, this is America, a country known for free speech. In this country, we let our American developers make American games for an American audience where we can say literally whatever the fuck we want. You know, talk about Black Ops 1, where you are brainwashed to shoot the fucking president of the United States in the goddamn face. That's part of the premise of Black Ops 1. Yeah, that's cool. We can talk about that free speech, creative freedom, whatnot. And then, you know, fast forward 10 years when Activision's like pretty chummy, pretty buddy buddy with Tencent. And Tencent's like, uh uh uh, we don't talk about Tiananmen Square. We don't talk about when our, you know, totalitarian police state started murdering our own people for protesting and speaking up against what they believed was an unjust infringement on their personal freedoms and rights. And uh, we, don't, we don't want to talk about that. So if you want to be able to sell your game to our very large population of gamers, we highly suggest you remove that scene. And Activision is like, yes, we are cucks. We will remove that scene promptly. Uh, uh, don't you worry about that. And so this is why I talk about this so much. I know some of you guys, it's like, I don't care. I just like playing, I just like playing video games. But like it or not, this has an influence. This has a lasting impact in this medium we all love, in this industry we all love. So, if unfortunately, you can't unmarry the two. Just like how, you know, I don't want to constantly talk about how Activision has a bunch of employees that keep, like, harassing people and, and keep falling under scrutiny for, you know, sexual harassment and workplace discrimination. I don't like having to talk about that, but unfortunately, it is the reality of what's going on right now. It is a undeniable story in the news cycle right now as it pertains to games, and so it must be mentioned. So, that's a lot of preamble to say Tencent has announced that they have created a new brand for global publishing, um, and it's called Level Infinite. This uh, new brand, this new arm of publishing will be based out of Amsterdam and Singapore, so respectively, two studios respectively, or, or offices rather. Uh, Level Infinite will be publishing games under this new label immediately with 
synced off-planet for PC and Don't Starve New Home for mobile devices, named as the first two titles in which they'll be using that name for. Uh, titles from Tencent Studios like Lightspeed and I never know how to say this. Is it T-I-M-I or Timmy Studio Group? Uh, will all be included under the new level Infinite Umbrella. So you'll start seeing the Tencent name, the T-I-M-I, the Lightspeed, all those names kind of disappear and get replaced by this new level Infinite brand, which is just a very uninspired, ambiguous name. So why does this matter? Well, it's all purely, obviously, all speculative. You know, a lot for a lot of companies, it's like, well, why would we want to do this? It's because we want to take all of our brands and give it one cohesive umbrella, you know, name, whatever. It's like, why would why would Xbox want to maybe at one point get away from Bethesda and just keep it all under the Xbox umbrella? You know, it's just for simplicity's sake. So not that that actually, I don't think Xbox is doing that. They've made it pretty clear. They're going to let Bethesda act as an independent actor of Xbox. So that's actually a bad example. But the point is, you know, Probably a harmless decision if you want to just look at it at surface level and be like, okay, that's all they're doing. They're just trying to unify their brands and and just have everything under one umbrella. No problem there. The thing is, I, as we've seen, some news outlets, thankfully, over the past year, as this has become more and more of an issue, have started to take notice of Tencent's involvement and who are kind of behind the scenes and what what's happening here. And I wonder if this is their way of saying like, hey, let's kind of, you know, as we're starting to get more influence, as we're starting to get bigger, as we're starting to build more of a name for ourselves, let's use this as an opportunity to kind of flip the script, create a new brand name and use that as a way to kind of distance ourselves from the association. And that's kind of my concern is that's what they're doing here. And it's kind of seems like the case because like this story just came and went under the radar of course. Of of course, the majority of games outlets did uh, their their A plus job of just ignoring this this story and just not reporting on it because they were too busy talking about I don't fucking know raising money for like some weird like anti Republican thing because for some reason games websites are like hey uh, let's take a political stance on an American social issue that has nothing to do with video games but uh, let's completely ignore you know communist China. It, uh, throwing th- th- hundreds of thousands of dollars at fucking Bungie, who make De- Destiny one of the biggest games in the video game industry, whatever. So, anyway, that's kind of my concern here. Is it's like, hmm, they're just trying to like be like, hey, we bought all this shit, we made all these weird moves. A lot of people kind of have eyes on us and are like, hey, what's going on here? Red flags are being raised. Let's just kind of switch, flip the script, get a new brand name and a new umbrella family name so people can kind of be like, oh, uh, Level Infinite, I've never heard of them. They must be a new publisher. Oh, I like all these games they have. Oh, Don't Starve, uh, the fucking Call of Duty Mobile, all this shit. Oh, great. I love that. And so that's eh, kind of the concerns, kind of like a ooh, weird thing. And then, of course, as you <laughs> The Game Awards, as I said, this was present there, and I completely missed it, but this was all fucking over the place. They had ads for this publisher brand. They had tons of their games represented, um, and no one made any mention of it. Jeff Keighley didn't make any mention of that. In fact, he did like a half-assed job of trying to single out Activision, but it it was like, hey, uh, we won't tolerate any company that has a widespread harassment and doesn't do anything about it, kind of calling out Activision, but in the same breath was like, hey, we took a bunch of ad money from a a, a communist Chinese uh, game developer or game publisher, and uh, they're basically funding our award show. So, eh, fuck you, Uyghur Muslims. Go, you know, get fucking castrated by your government and murdered. And uh, if anyone wants to speak out about this and and you live in China, eh, the government will just make you, wipe you off the face of the earth. Who, Who knows? I uh, I won't go into this any further. Just want to make mention of that. So for now on, you'll be seeing this brand a lot, Level Infinite. And when you do, just know that is Tencent. That is um, 
this big conglomerate just throwing fucking money all over the place. Now, it is worth mentioning, you know, I don't know if I want to say in their defense, but it is worth mentioning that a large reason for why they might be trying to expand outside of the Chinese market and get involved with so many Western developers is because, again, it depends. I don't know how many fucking game outlets are paying attention to this or reporting on this either, but a really like uh, prevalent thing right now uh, regarding the Chinese market in gaming right now is the Chinese government is cracking down a lot on games. They've been introducing a lot of new stupid arbitrary bullshit laws that limit um, and minimize Chinese the Chinese uh, population's ability to play games. There was the, the new law where it's like you can only play three hours of games a day and they'll monitor it and you, there's certain days where you're just not allowed to play video games depending on like certain holidays or certain whatever the case may be. Again, it's like to what extent is this stuff monitored and enforced? Who fucking knows? I don't, I'm not a Chinese citizen living in China, so I can't speak to this. I have no real experience or understanding of it. So it's like how much of this is like a suggestion versus like a, a, a strict rule that's enforced? I don't know. But this has become a thing where it's it's been looked pretty down upon and the Chinese government has actually kind of kind of hurt because they have so much control over their own their own stock market and everything have kind of hurt a lot of big game investment companies and publishers. And so I think this is Tencent more than anything, trying to acknowledge the fact that they are, they can be at any point completely wiped out or crippled or weakened by their own government. And so for the sake of their own economic safety, they've started looking outward at other countries with more free markets and more ability to kind of, you know, act and operate openly without fear of, government intervention and things like that so and i don't mean that as like a come to the usa where we're great and you suck we have plenty of problems i have plenty of criticisms about our shit government don't don't get me wrong but anyway so with all that out of the way i always i always talk about those stories like kind of stuttery like oh no i gotta walk on eggshells here i don't want anyone to get upset but anyway with that out of the way guys with all the introductory shit all the remember for next week kind of things let's jump into our regular run of segments beginning with comments you know how it works guys you go over to youtube.com slash c slash xbox on podcasts hit the enter bar hit it so fucking hard it breaks on your goddamn keyboard and you'll see my channel there click on the latest episode leave a comment and that's how you get right on the show you will almost certainly be right on the show if you leave a comment you can say something nice like jesse Thank you for just trying to cover shit that's going on in the games industry, regardless of whether or not it's a comfortable thing to talk about or something that's popular to talk about. I appreciate you just trying to like put the information out there because that's what you you know you're just trying to trying to be like, hey guys, Xbox is about more than just uh taking a uh, taking a Cyberpunk 2077 brand ambassador sponsorship money from Microsoft and saying how great everything is. Sometimes it's also ugly stuff like. Uh, like the CEO of Activision threatening to murder his assistant. So thank you for talking about the weird, uncomfortable stuff. Um, I know it's not fun, but I appreciate all you do. And I'll be like, God damn, I, I, I appreciate you seeing what I'm trying to do. Whether or not I do a good job at it, I don't know. But I appreciate the kind words. But you could also be a total dickhead. You could write in and say, Jesse, shut up about the, the CCP shit. No one cares about that. I want to back up to what you opened with. Why the fuck are you playing with Nerf guns? Aren't you like 26 goddamn years old? Don't you pay taxes and you're going to play with Nerf guns? Listen, I can understand if you want to buy a real gun because that's what real men do. I can understand if you want to buy a paintball gun because maybe you're a stupid fucking enthusiast and you're into that kind of shit. It's not my style, but I'll allow it. I can even understand if you want to get airsoft guns because for some reason I never really understood the appeal, but people are into that. And if that's your thing, that's your thing. 
thing. But air, but fucking Nerf guns, Nerf guns are for babies. That's why when you go to Target and you pick up a Nerf gun in the toy aisle, it is not in the beer aisle because the beer aisle is where they sell guns and other manly shit like razors and shaving cream. But no, in the toy aisle, they sell baby shit like Disney's Pixar's Cars toys and Hot Wheels and Nerf. And oh, I'm starting to understand why you like this bullshit. Okay, you're a stupid, petulant child. I'm logging off now. I hope you fail miserably and I'll be like, God damn, probably more real than anything, but it hurts to hear that from you, whoever you are, mysterious commenter, please don't write that in. But without further ado, let's jump into actual comments, things people legitimately said, not hypotheticals. Our first comment this week comes from Rodrigo Resende. Sorry if I spelled, if I pronounced your last name incorrectly, Rodrigo. Uh, you can uh, be the guy who comments in chastising me about Nerf guns if you'd like. You say, hey, just saying hi from Brazil. I used to live in Orlando and I listen to your podcast. I keep listening. Take care. Well, thank you, Rodrigo. That's a very kind comment. Uh, shout out to uh, Orlando Dweller, even if not even if not currently, only at one point. That means, uh, you know, sometimes I'm driving around, going around, going through drive throughs pumping gas, going to work, and I'm like, hey, maybe Rodrigo once drove this road. Maybe he once waited in this fast food drive through lane. Maybe he once uh, stepped foot in the Magic Kingdom and... Uh, well, I don't know, whatever the fuck it is I do here in Florida. So thanks for writing in. I appreciate the support, man. Hope you're having a great day. And also, cool cool to see some representation from Brazil. I see the statistics. I know we got some Brazilian listeners, but uh, it's it's not often we get someone who writes in. So that's that's pretty cool. I love, I love seeing new representations from other parts of the world. I love that. Uh, next up, a very important comment. Probably the most important comment we're, we're going to get all week. So fuck you, Halo Infinite spoiler cast. I want to talk about Mr. Miggy writing in, talking about the Sonic movie 2 trailer. He says... Sadly, I only got to the part in Halo where you just get on Zeta Halo, but I'm liking the game so far, including the new AI, the weapon. I'm glad you got up early for a run last week, Jesse, living the healthy lifestyle. Yeah, sure I am. The new Sonic, let's get to the important part. The new Sonic Movie 2 trailer also made me act like a little kid. Well, Mr. Miggy, that uh, brings great joy to my heart because... Not only are you awesome because uh, you liked the new Sonic trailer, but you also acknowledge that it was possibly the most important announcement made at the Game Awards. Of course, we now know it wasn't the number one most important announcement. It was the number two because the number one was Sonic Frontiers, but I'm really glad you're excited for the movie. I am excited as well. I really did expect... I was telling my buddy Hunter, who's a big movie buff, so I'll just take his word for it because the guy has a lot more inclination for... I don't know, just the movie industry and kind of how this shit goes more than I do. So I'll just I'll just take his optimism for it. But I was telling him, I just figure Sonic Movie 2 is going to be one of those things where it's like, oh, the first one, everyone had the lowest of expectations and it ended up being surprisingly decent. And they're like, whoa, 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 people actually like this movie? And oh my God, it actually made money. And so they just immediately greenlit a sequel and then they just kind of butcher it in the sequel and do bullshit and kind of meander about making a dumb kids movie. And, you know, like Smurfs or whatever, like just one of those movies. I feel like this happens so much. We're like, here's a stupid IP. Let's make a movie. Oh, it did okay. Let's make a sequel. Oh, the sequel did terrible. Okay, move on to the next thing. And my my friend reassured me. He said, I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's going to be a good movie. And so I appreciate that optimism. And Mr. Miggy, I appreciate your enthusiasm. And you know what? After seeing the trailer, I also feel good about it. It seems like they're really doubling down on the video game references and the in in the Sonic characters more so than the human characters. And it, it seems like it has the same kind of charm and, and humor as the first one. And I'm excited to see more of of Sonic versus Eggman, especially with uh, Jim Carrey at the helm of that role. And now, next up, 
I gotta, I gotta talk about Battlefield Hardline, because in our long-ass episode last week, I slipped in the fact that I played some Battlefield Hardline, kind of slid it in there, maybe many of you missed it, but you know who didn't miss it? Was Dead Captain James, our resident Battlefield fan, who says, Hardline received so much unnecessary hate. The game was fun as hell, the multiplayer was very different, very vehicle-based, not even tank and helicopters but like trucks and actual cars one of the best game modes was a driving mode each team had to get in their cars and, and stay moving around to earn points while people were trying to blow you up fun af that does sound fun af although i'm sure i can never play it because at this point the servers are so uh just so so shallow so unpopulated that you know i was lucky i even was able to find the regular rush mode that i did find so i still i'm, I'm gonna get back to it um at some point, but yeah, I am really glad that the game is good. And thank you, Dead Captain James, for writing in, as as I hoped you would, because we spoke of Battlefield and for defending a game that, yeah, I got I got to admit, I was in that camp of people I just kind of wrote it off without giving it a try, and I was wrong. That's just, that's for those counting at home. That's two now, where you know Skyrim and now Battlefield Hardline. Maybe there's a lot of games out there I'd like that uh, I just written off. Maybe, just maybe, I would like Overwatch. Of course, I'm joking. Now, next up, let's talk about cleaning those butts. Headhunting Halo wrote in and says, Jess, loving the new intro, loving the chief, loving the campaign. Very different, but feels right at home. Man, oh man, having fun with the grapple hook. Kind of pissed, though. Spider-Man is out in Fortnite, and I need to be level 80 for it, but I'm only 20, and so I'm 32% there. I hope you're having a good week. And th I don't think that math's right. And thank you. I now, see, I now use baby wipes when I go poo-poo. So much cleaner. Fresh scent, baby. Ah. Headhunting Halo, if there's anything I want the audience to take away from this conversation, it's that you are now using baby wipes. You are the man. Thank you so much. Thank you for heeding my advice. You are now contributing to making the planet a cleaner, more fresh-scented place, and uh, I, I, I appreciate it. I think, you know, in retrospect, after a handful of years of being a baby wipes user, I find it repulsive to think that people don't even... You don't have to use baby wipes. You can use a bidet. In fact, I've, I've considered purchasing a bidet. But just using toilet paper, you know, not even like doing your business and then showering or something, I think there's something wrong with you if you are convinced that just toilet paper alone is enough to get the job done. You're disgusting. I just want to let you know, I respect you guys regardless of your opinions about video games, regardless of your preferences when it comes to anything we talk about on the show, food, what have you, you know, whatever you believe philosophically, politically, religiously, whatever your race or creed is, I don't care. I want you to be yourself, be your, your individual self to the fullest and take pride in who you are. But if you think that just using toilet paper is sufficient, you're a disgusting person. Also, if you eat ketchup, you're disgusting. So just know that's two things now. Don't use toilet paper alone and don't consume ketchup. And I'm sure there's a correlation between people who do one and the other. Now, next comment here comes from Compassionate Choice LLC, who writes in about the Oculus Quest 2, saying, Thanks for the same, or, sorry, thanks for the timestamps on Spotify. I don't want to hear a damn thing about Halo until I experience it for myself. Also, please talk more about the Oculus Quest 2. I've been thinking about VR a lot. All right, quick little three minute tangent. I'm just going to talk about Oculus Quest 2. It's weird because I have a lot of feelings about this and I have a lot of enjoyment when I use it, and I've been using it quite a bit since I bought it. But I don't have. I feel like I don't have a lot to say on it. I mean, VR has been kind of in the mainstream or accessible to the public in the way we know it today since at least like what 2014. So it's not new by any means for me to be like, oh guys, stop what you're doing and try out this new thing called VR. But Oculus Quest 2 is a game changer, no doubt, just because of how 
capable it is, how powerful it is, how easy it is to set up and use, and how freeing it is to use. And most importantly, that barrier to entry is so, so low because it is dirt cheap relative to other VR headsets. So the Oculus Quest 2 is something very special, you know, despite you know, not being the newest thing on the, in the world, but it's, you know, it's, it's not like the valve index or anything like that. It's, it's, it's relatively new. So I will, I guess I don't even know what I'm trying to say other than my, my experiences, my thoughts on VR are mostly in line with, I think what everyone else experiences, which is that first time you use VR, you know, I'm not, not like when you go to a game convention and they have one there and you can try it out or you go to a friend's house and you can try it out. Those are great experiences, but I'm talking, cause I've, I've had those experiences, but I'm talking about taking the unit home, setting it up, making it your unit, downloading, downloading the games you want to play and just kind of like enjoying it, creating your play space and doing it your way. There is nothing like that. It was just one of those, I will say Oculus Quest 2, it's not like immediately I'm like, fuck Xbox, I like VR, but it gave me the kind of experience that I've only had a few times in my life. I will say the only gaming related experiences that I've had like this were probably when I was a little kid and I got a, a, a Nintendo 64 for Christmas. And then when I got a Nintendo 3DS for Christmas, or not 3DS, sorry, in 2005 when I got a Nintendo DS for Christmas, the original Nintendo DS. And maybe, I'm trying to think if there's an Xbox that made me ever feel this way. Probably the 360. My brother got a 360 before I did. And um, I remember just like playing it constantly and being so blown away by HD graphics, wireless controllers, and a like actual home operating system on a, on a game console. And I got I to gotta say, and obviously playing online, Xbox Live, uh, I got to say the combination, or sorry, those are like the rare experiences in my gaming career where I've been like, this kind of changed the game. This is something different. This is something special. VR immediately gave me that feeling and took me back to those moments I mostly only have from childhood. And I was like, I can't believe this is a gaming experience that has just been out there available to the public and more people, myself included, just are not taking advantage of this. It is so incredibly weird the first time, because I'll say this, the first thing I did on my VR headset was I downloaded this very low file, free to play roller coaster simulator game. I was like, I love roller coasters. This is like 200 megabytes. It's free. Let's just download and try something out real fast. And you just pick a roller coaster and it's like a POV and you ride a roller coaster in VR. It's like, oh, cool. I'm riding a roller coaster. I was like, let's see how cool this is. And I was a little underwhelmed. I was like, ah, fuck. Then I downloaded Job Simulator, which is, of course, like one of the quintessential VR experiences. And immediately when I booted up Job Simulator, I was like, oh, now I get it. And that first moment of being like, I can just reach out and grab this thing. And that first moment of like, let me do this thing in VR. And then you like accidentally bump into something in the real world. Like I, I touched my couch and I was like, oh my God, yeah. And it, like it pulls you out for a second. You're like, that's right. I'm in my living room and my couch is right here. But oh my God, like my brain has been tricked. Like I really just got so into it that for a moment I was like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm playing job simulator. I'm reaching under my desk at work trying to grab this, uh, this bouncy ball that fell off my desk and this stapler to do this thing and that thing. And it's like you, you do, it, it's ridiculous. Like, because people tell you how it works. Like, oh, it tricks your brain. It's like, you're really there. It's like, yeah, yeah, I get it. It's immersive. But then you use it and you're like, Oh yeah, it's a uh, fuck. It's immersive. It's like it tricks your brain to thinking you're really there, and that's just one of those experiences. It's like I've I've never had that before. I've never had such a convincing effort of that, you know, in a home experience. I'll say the best VR experience I've ever had to date was when I in 2019 when I went to the Halo Outpost Discovery th event they were doing that summer. 
Um, and I tried the Halo VR experience because you could actually move around. It was Halo multiplayer in VR, and it was fucking amazing. I remember thinking that was that alone was worth the cost of admission to go to that event. And that's still the best VR experience I've ever had. But that was one of those things. It's like it's like going bowling or like you know going to play mini golf or or laser tag. It's one of those things. Where you're like that was a lot of fun, but I can only experience this if I go to this place with these people and spend this money and do this thing. It's one of those things where the stars got aligned, the whole thing's got to happen, where people want to go with you. And you guys go and do this thing at this place and spend money. But like VR is like the Quest Two is like no no no. This isn't like something where like the stars had to align. I had to go to this place and spend this money and do this thing. This is like a helmet that is just in my living room and I can just put it on my head at any given time and now boom, I'm having that experience. And being able to take that home and have like a version all of my own like that uh, was transformative in a way that I'm like, yeah, this is, I know full well, the thing about a VR headset is this is not gonna replace your Xbox. This is not gonna replace your gaming PC. You're not gonna go, uh, fuck traditional conventional gaming. I'm a VR fan now and play your VR headset full time. It's, it's not. It is a kind of side chick, if you will. Like the, the VR headset is this thing where it's like, I'll, I'll play it two or three times a week and my gaming sessions on it are probably like 20 to 45 minutes. And you know, that's it, I'm done. And it's not like your Xbox where you're gonna sit down on a Saturday and play three hours of this game you're working on. So it is more of a bite-sized experiential kind of thing, but those smaller experiences that you have fewer fewer times or less often rather are worth the cost of admission overall. Like the Oculus Quest 2 is priced the exact same as a Nintendo Switch. And right now my takeaway is the Nintendo Switch is fine. I don't regret buying one. I've had great fun with it. There are good games I'm I'm glad I played on it. But if I had neither of these two devices and I had $300 and I knew what I knew, I would get the Oculus Quest 2 over the Nintendo Switch any day, any fucking day, because those experiences I've had with the Oculus Quest 2 are unlike anything I can get anywhere else. And I just think it's absolutely worth it. I think if you are someone who is into games, but you're into immersive experiences or you're just into tech, any combination of these things, I think you owe it to yourself to try VR. It is just... And I mean, like, try VR, like, try to try to get into it. Try to get your hands on an Oculus Quest 2 or something like that because it is just such a cool fucking experience. Like, I'm just, the other night I'm, like, on the couch in a, I, I know VR chat is, like, seen as a cringe game. I don't care. I actually really enjoy playing it, not even for the sake of interacting with people, but just for exploring. Like, there's this world I just like to go to where it's, like, you're on the rooftop of this, like, building in Tokyo or something, and it's just raining and just plays lo-fi music. And it's just very soothing and relaxing. And sometimes I like to just put on my headset, go into this world, lay on my couch in real life, but then get my avatar to lay on the couch in in uh, in VR chat so it just feels and looks like I'm laying on this couch. And just like 10 or 15 minutes of just kind of like zoning out, listening to the music, listening to the rainfall in this VR world. I'm like, God, this is like, this is soothing. It's like going to a, it's like going to a coffee shop and just like kind of chilling out and vibing with like the jazz music and the smell of coffee and a warm drink to kind of warm you up on a rainy or cold day. It's like the same fucking effect, but just in my living room and with a VR headset on. It's so cool. And then like, you can just get up, walk out to the balcony peek over the edge of the building and look down and be like oh shit I literally just got like a like a little bit of like a you know like that spider sense you get when it's like oh I'm in danger or oh, I'm about to fall or like ooh that's dangerous I should back up you get that feeling a little bit you're like oh fuck that's 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 a that's a big fall and like you back up a little bit and you're like that's so cool that like VR can psych my brain out and make me have those experiences so you know it's not like Xbox it's not like Halo where I'm like this is the most fun video game ever you know IGN and these gaming outlets and and people talk about gaming like it's like 
oh, this game is so great because it makes you feel like X character. I never really understood that that relation with gaming because gaming doesn't make me feel like any character. Like, I never, I love Halo to death. I've never played Halo and be like, whoa, I feel like a fucking super soldier with a gun killing aliens on a foreign planet. Like, no, I def, definitely don't ever feel that. But I am immersed in the experience and it is interactive and it's fun as hell and I love it to death. And that's great. But VR is a different kind of immersion where it's like, no, no, no. I truly feel like I'm there. I truly feel like I am this person. I truly feel like I'm having this experience because the concept of VR is like we are making you the actual character in this world or we're making, you you know, we're actually making you, transport you into a different world. Whereas video games are more like, I'm fully aware that I'm not Nathan Drake when I'm playing Uncharted. I know I'm still Jesse in his boxers on his couch at two in the morning and I need to go to bed. It's like, I'm not... I'm more I'm immersed more so the way I'm immersed in a movie than I am the way I'm in VR. So yes, it's immersive. Yes, it is it is um an interactive form of entertainment because you are controlling the player, you are making the decisions, and there's a lot of agency and a lot of ways you can connect with a game when you play a more conventional way like Xbox or PC or whatever. But the way you play in VR truly is the trite entire way that, you know, like big games influencers and outlets are always talking about where they're like this game really makes you feel like pokemon this game really makes you feel like fortnite like no no no. when you play vr it's like you really do feel like the guy working behind the cash register at the convenience store and job simulator you really do feel like you're the fucking weeby ass avatar you picked in vr chat you really do feel like you're darth vader and in, in vader immortal whatever the fuck it is you're playing like it's it's badass it's uh i don't know Dude, I, I'm not. I'm not saying you know go out of your way and, and 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 spend money just for the sake of spending money. But if VR is something you're seriously interested in, I, I think it's worth pulling the trigger. All right, let's wrap up with a couple of comments. EA's King's got a trifecta to round us out, and uh, he wants to follow up. And you know, I kind of knew this was going to happen. He wants to follow up on my rant, my my poo-pooing on Ubisoft last week for their introduction of Quartz, which is their whole NFT initiative in their games. I stand by what I said last week. I tried to dig even further, you know, after prefacing that I don't know what I'm talking about. I tried to understand this shit, but I don't fully get it. These are just my knee-jerk reactions and my gut feelings based on what I do know. I still stand by what I said last week because I still try to learn more and I still feel like my point is largely taken and I still stand by what I'm saying. Uh, that, That NFTs are just a big ploy for really rich people and really rich corporations to make more money and at the expense of people who are willing to invest in, in an idea of something but not actually get any tangible or realistic value or good. But nonetheless, EA's King, our resident crypto expert and fan, writes in and says, Jesse, NFTs are just expensive stock photos that can gain or lose value. Wait if their stock photos... Sorry, what if their stock photos wouldn't they be free? I think I'm using the wrong term. Uh, NFTs are just pi- pictures that you pay copyright. P.S. IDK of copyright is the correct term. But Jesse, you're wrong about NFTs. I don't care about the picture. I just care about the numbers in the green that it gives me so I can simply go buy a piece of art instead of getting hyped and buy. When the value goes up, you sell it. And when it's, it's that simple. And also, of course, Ubisoft won't make an NFT trading platform. That already exists. Meet the customers where they are. By the way, NFT is... What funded my Halo Battle Pass and my Oculus Quest 2? Listen, man, like I said, 
if you can find a way to make money off this shit, more power to you. I'm happy for you. But what I'm saying is for most people, I feel like this is predatory and I feel like this is wrong. I feel like, again, we talked about this extensively on the stream Monday, and this is what I left it at. I understand the fundamental concept of, like, you buy a thing, someone finds finds value in it, they pay you for that thing, you make money, they get something they care about, that's great. But again, it's like, when you look at what NFTs are, a fucking skin in a video game, or like some fucking DeviantArt meme JPEG or something like that, it's like, that's, the, the, the thing is, no one finds value in that. No one wants to spend money on that. So it's the the concept of like you own a thing, someone wants to buy it because they value it and they sell they buy it from you, you sell it, you make money. That's not what's lost on me. The thing that's lost on me is NFTs are traditionally bullshit goods that no one wants to own and no one finds value in. So why is this a thing? That's that's my thing. But the reason why I bring this up is because unprecedented on Xbox on we're going to talk about a little story that popped up today which is that stalker 2 a game we've a lot of us I know have been highly anticipating unfortunately will be selling nfts when the game comes out so uh the game's gsn sorry the game's developer gsc game world have announced that it's teaming up with nft trading platform d market to use blockchain technology to let the community own a piece of stalker 2 Players can register starting this month for items drops. Uh, the first character will be an auction that will allow the player to become an NPC in the game, which is due for release, of course, in April, as we all know. Guys, this is stupid bullshit. It's a way, again, to scam your audience and make money on them. Why the fuck would anyone want to own a fucking skin that makes you an NPC in the game? Again, it's like... Think about it in, in, in the least offensive terms, think about it like microtransactions or loot boxes and shit like that. It's like, do you want this bullshit populating, clouding and, and, and overthrowing your game? No, but this is a more predatory way of doing it. Again, we all know that using the blockchain is terrible for the environment. That is a common uh, as a common criticism of NFTs and of crypto in general. And so that is a big fail. And then two, if you really wanted to make, and here's a point I wish I brought up last week and I wish I brought up on the stream. If you want to make this a thing that's really like, well, hey, this is a way for the developer to make money, but also for the community to own a part of the game and also for them to be able to, you know, have a say in this and to make money, then you know what you would actually do is you would just implement a system like what Valve puts in Counter-Strike Go, you know, it's like, I'm not entirely versed on how that works, but if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's the game has a in-game market where you can buy and trade skins within the game's ecosystem. But it is kind of like just based on like, hey, we I, I own this skin. It is like a loot box, so you can either try to get the skin yourself from getting loot boxes, or I can sell you the thing that I want in a loot box myself. And people can just be like, Hey, I, that, I mean, that's a really rare skin. I'll buy that off you. Or like, Hey, I, you know, that skin is really common. I don't think it's worth shit. So I'm not buying it. And yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's a better way of doing this. I still don't like that system. I don't invite that system into more games. Absolutely not. But that's a better system because one, it doesn't use the blockchain. It's not terrible for the fucking environment. Two, it's not super vague and ambiguous and hard for a lot of people to wrap their brains around. And three, it's just as simple as the it holds the publisher or the developer of the game accountable because it is their marketplace that they build and they're responsible for. And the thing is, if NFTs are so harmless, if NFTs are so, you know, not a problem, as some people suggest, then why wouldn't Ubisoft self-regulate the whole 
thing, you know? Why wouldn't they have their own store? Like, why just now? Why does that have to be NFTs? Why is this when they jump on it? Why not jump on it when Valve was doing something similar to this with CSGO? Like, why not have something like this a long time ago where players can be like, oh yeah, I bought a loot chest in Assassin's Creed and it makes my character look like a guy in a hot dog costume and I'm selling it on the UB Black Market and so now you can take my hot dog costume from Assassin's Creed, insert country that's not Japan because they'll never make a Japanese Assassin's Creed for some reason, and you can use it in Tom Clancy's Divide by X, and now your awesome, promise you it's not a Call of Duty knockoff character, can wear the hot dog costume because you bought it on the UB Black Market for $27 because it's a, a medium to rare skin, and some asshole was willing to sell it to you, and you're a dumb fuck who wants to buy it. Why wasn't that the case 10 years ago when fucking Steam was doing this shit, or Valve was doing this shit? Why just now? And my answer is simply that NFTs are a fucking scam and companies like Ubisoft and now uh, the developers, GCS Game World, uh, developers of Stalker 2 are fucking scamming their audience, which is disheartening to say the least. And uh, as someone who's really, really looking forward to Stalker 2, this puts me in a situation where I'm like, I, I don't know if I want to play this game. I don't know if I want to support this game. And they, they said, hey, if you don't want to participate in this, this has no impact in the game, has no impact on gameplay. If you don't want to pay attention to it, you don't have to. It's not going to be in your face in the menus or in the game whatsoever in any any way possible. But still, part of me is like, yeah, I, I don't care. You kind of pissed me off. I don't know if I want to play your game, especially considering it's a Game Pass game and Game Pass has a million other games I care about. So. I'm probably a hypocrite who will play it anyway, but I, I just can't help but um, but but say that, you know. And then our final comment, EA's King. This is uh, in, in, on a lighter note. You say, "Yo, Jesse, when's the next video coming out?" I'm getting frustrated. You can even post a 60-second long photo of the doorknob in your apartment, and I'll be happy. Well, EA's King, I have no I have no real excuse for you. I was working on a video a while ago, and I scrapped it. Then I was working on another video, and then I scrapped it. And I even stopped streaming on on Thursdays so I could have more time to work on videos. And uh, that's yielded zero additional videos. So I got to take ownership on this one. I fucked up. I haven't put out a video. I'll be quite honest with you. I'm hitting a little bit of a, of a little writer's block, a little bit of a fear of, like, I don't know what I want to do next. So I think you're right. I think I need to just fucking bite the bullet and do something, even if it's just 60 seconds of me staring at my doorknob. Um, it, it's better than doing nothing at all. So the answer is I don't have a specific date for you. I apologize for long wait. I have not uploaded since late August. That is my fault for sure. But I, I am working on something. I have a lot of ideas. I'm just kind of in a weird stagnant state. I need to kick myself in the butt and just get to work and stop being a lazy prick. Thank you for holding me accountable, EA's King. And that's with that, we're all done for the comments this week. Guys, remember for next week, don't be shy reply next let's jump into what i've been playing before i can tell you about what i've been playing i gotta tell you about what i've been eating speaking of brazil this past week i tried brazilian steakhouse for the very first time now brazilian steakhouses it's been high on the list of like why haven't you tried one of these in terms of like a, a concept for a restaurant you know like i've been to you know you, you know people are like oh let's try something new let's try korean barbecue let's try um let's try vajitas at chili's let's try the mcrib let's try uh ramen you know, all these things and you know, I, I, I love food, as you guys know. I love going to restaurants. I love experiencing new food. I love experiencing new ways to experience food. And and I'm surprised this one's slipped me by for so long. But the thing is, Brazilian steakhouses, my association with them is, oh, they're expensive. You know, like the big brands like Fogo de Chao and all those places. And, eh, it's not like 70 bucks a person to eat there. So I've just, I've just never gotten around to it. But this week I said, you know what? 
and I went to one, and I found one, I found a local one that was relatively inexpensive, you know, compared to other Brazilian steakhouses, and I went, and I gotta be honest with you, it was, it was fine, fine, it wasn't, like, I, it, I think the food was good, my criticism isn't that, like, oh, I'm disappointed, it's bad. It, it, my criticism is that, and this isn't even maybe a fair criticism, but uh, Brazilian Steakhouse ended up being almost exactly what I pictured it being in my mind. And I felt like I was hoping there were, like, some frilled stomach, some, something I hadn't seen coming. But from what I heard and what I assumed, it was uh, ended up being, you know, 100% just what I thought it was and what I was told it was, you know. There's a little buffet with uh, various uh, uh, more filling dishes designed to get you filled up. You got some salads, you got some pastas, you got some side dishes, rice, beans, that sort of thing. Awesome, great shit here and there. Uh, and then you sit down and people just come up and rotate around the restaurant like, hey, would you like a slice of this meat? Would you like a slice of this meat? And, you know, it's like what you expect. It's like, okay, well, you know, they, they can't have the best meat because otherwise that would make no sense. Why would you ever go to a regular steakhouse and spend all that money on one cut of meat if you could just go to a Brazilian steakhouse and get the best meat endlessly? So obviously you expect the meat to be good but not the best you've ever had, and that's exactly what it is. It's is very serviceable, is very decent, especially for the, the quantity that you can eat and for the experience and the price you're paying. It's like, okay, this is this is good, this is fun. But there is nothing I don't I don't know. Like I was like hoping to God there'd be some like some like frill, some something like, whoa, I bet you didn't see this coming. The thing about a Brazilian steakhouse is every time you surpass 10 additional meats consumed, a small portal opens up and Doctor Strange hops through and says, we need to do something about this here multiverse, you, you stupid bitch. And then he just kind of whooshes his way back into a different universe. And you're like, that's fucking weird. And then you go about continuing to eat meat. And then once you get to round 30, you know, of meat and you still haven't tapped out, um, the manager comes by and says, please, we are about to go out of business. You are eating too much food. Please sign this agreement that says uh, you own... 30% of our business, uh, but in exchange, uh, you will no longer eat here because you are you are so bad for business, and you will sign it, and you'll be like, good, my first executive order is that you put up fucking Sonic Unleash uh, uh, posters on every corner of this restaurant, do it now, do it loud, do it proud, and no, that doesn't happen, and there's just nothing, I don't know. Like, none of the menu items were like, oh, this is really interesting as, as a gringo who has very limited experience with this kind of culinary, with this kind of cuisine. And I'm like, eh. Nothing was really, like, out of the ordinary, like, oh, I've never tried that or I've never heard of that. It was just like, yeah. Yeah, I've had I've had rice and beans. I've had plantains. I, I don't know. It just... But everything I tried was good. I thought the price was solid. I thought, you know... The atmosphere was fun. The server was cool. It was like, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I can now say, oh, yeah, I've tried Brazilian Steakhouse. But uh, I don't know. I was just kind of hoping to be like, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Like, um, the first time I ever tried, like, I, I remember the first time I ever had Korean barbecue. My mind was blown. I was like, holy shit, this is like a part of my life forever going forward. And I don't know. I was hoping not to have something to that extent, but like, I don't know. I was hoping for something cool. I remember the first time I had, like, a, a nice steak. You know, like, I... We didn't eat steak growing up in my family, so I remember the first time I was like, hey, I'm eating a nice steak in a good steakhouse, and like I'm excited to see what this is about, and I was like, whoa, that was crazy, you know, but like, yeah, Brazilian Steakhouse, it's like the first time I went, I'm like, it's good. It's kind of like the, I don't know, it's like the fucking, who brought up Golden Corral a couple weeks ago? It's kind of like the Golden Corral of Brazilian food. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to put it, but uh, no, I'm glad I tried it. 
but I, I wish I had more to say. Now, that's it for what I've been eating, but guys, that's not all that matters because aside from eating food, I actually play video games as well. And so what have I been playing this week? Well, would you believe it if I said more Halo Infinite? I won't talk about this because we're going to go all in depth at the end of the episode. So have I been playing Halo Infinite? Yes, mostly, of course. But we'll talk about that later. Have I been playing a little bit more Battlefield Hardline? Eh, we'll, we'll get back to it in a little while, but I want to. But what's the other thing you've been playing when not playing Halo Infinite, when not playing Battlefield Hardline? Well, I booted up Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, I told you last week I did receive the game. It was gifted to me by a friend. And uh, I, I jumped into it, you know, because I took last week off work. I had some extra time. So after I beat Halo, after I kind of gamed myself out a little bit on that, I was like, let me, let me try something else. So I booted up Guardians of the Galaxy, and between then and now, I probably made, I checked, I'm on like chapter six or something, I'm about a third of the way through the game, and I'll say this game is very, it's very good, but I kind of have the same response to it that I had with, with Brazilian Steakhouse, which is that Guardians of the Galaxy, like most people, when it was announced, I was like, yeah, I don't give a shit, whatever, it, you know, it, I appreciate that they announced it and released it within a short time period, I really love when games do that, but when it was first announced, I was like, I don't care, I already played the Telltale Guardians of the Galaxy game, whatever, and then the reviews started coming in when the game came out, and everyone's like, guys, don't, don't sleep on this game, it's actually very good, it's like, it's like Guardians of the Galaxy meets like Uncharted. It's got like that constant storytelling, that constant banter between characters, similar kind of gameplay with some unique combat. It's a very fun game. It's a very good romp. They wrote the characters well. It's humorous. I think you'll enjoy it. Everyone was saying that. Oh, it's a good game. Oh, it's a good game. And at that point, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to play this game, but I have a suspicion that it's going to be, you know, it's going to sell poorly and probably be real cheap soon. So I'll play it in a little while. I won't play it now. And well, here I am. I'm playing it now. And I got to say, it is exactly what people said. It is, I, I couldn't put it better myself. It feels like an Uncharted game. It's pretty linear. It's a lot, of, it's almost entirely story-based where it's just every moment of the game, even the gameplay at all times is guided through banter and dialogue with the characters, which I love because the characters are very well written. They're very much like their Marvel movie counterparts and that's a good thing and it's, it is a fun game. It is a unique story. It is not a rehash of the Guardian story you've probably experienced if you've seen any of the movies or if you played the Telltale game. So it's really fun in that respect. You know, I, I haven't ever read a Guardians of the Galaxy comic, so I don't know how heavily it's aspects of the game are lifted from other lore. But, you know, as someone as as someone who's pretty casual on Guardians of the Galaxy, as the majority of people who play this game will be, you know, I, I know them from the Marvel movies and from another game here or there and it's a wholly original story so really fun to get into it in that regard and like I said the characters are just really well written and it's very humorous Dr Drax in particular is very well written he has the same kind of uh, comedic timing that he has in the movies where it's just like something stupid will happen he makes it like a oh he he kind of joke but then later on he'll just bring up a reference at the worst timing in the most like you know and just and just totally be devoid of like proper context or situational awareness and it'll just be very funny and it, it's very well written like that I, I i'm enjoying the game thoroughly when i play it because i'm immediately getting sucked into it the way i would if i were watching a movie that being said I have the same criticism with this game that I have when I'm playing most, not all, but most of the new Tomb Raider games and that I get when I play like The Last of Us or Uncharted where I'm like, this is good. I am thoroughly enjoying it from start to finish and I'm glad I'm playing this game and I will look back when I'm done and be like, I am glad I played that game. But the gameplay itself is a very, very, very polished version of the most middle of the road gameplay 
to where it's like, yes, it's fun to play. Yes, I'm enjoying the gameplay, but once I'm done with this game, it's like a movie. It's like I once I'm done with it, I'm done with it. I never need to go back. I never need to collect all the things. I never need to experience it again because it's like that gameplay, that loop, that hook is not there to where I'm like, oh, that was fun. Let me play that again. It was like, no, no, no. That was entertaining. So that that's kind of my thing with games like this is it's like sometimes you watch a movie like this. You're like, oh, that was fun. Let me watch that again. I'll commit to another two hours of that experience. That was fun. But when a game is like this, it creates such a great first experience. But then it's really hard to give it a round two because it's like, that was such a good story and that was such a fun ride. But I don't know if I want to do 15 hours of that again. You know, like I've never, ever gone back. I, I remember all four Uncharted games very vividly, very thoroughly because they have great character building, great world building, great storytelling and really engaging writing. They're very, very good stories. But I have never gone back and replayed an Uncharted game or a Last of Us game or a Tomb Raider game, nor do I think I ever will. Because when I think about those games, I'm like, I enjoyed playing that. I'm glad I played that. I really enjoyed the story. But the gameplay was just so, such a very highly polished version of average to meh gameplay that it's like, I don't know if I want to do another 15 hours of that. It's such a a weird thing because like conversely, you have a game like Halo Infinite, which spoiler alert, not really spoiler alert. I loved the story. I loved the gameplay. I loved the entire game. I thought it was fantastic. Halo Infinite is a game I will replay the campaign on. Time and time again, I promise you, Halo 5, the, the Halo game previous to this, I've beaten that campaign six or seven times, and I will beat Halo Infinite's campaign many more times to come um, over the over the years, because not only is the story really good and really engaging, but the gameplay is so fucking good and just hooks you so much that it's like, not only when I'm done with this game, which I am done with the game, I beat it, not only am I like, oh, that was a great story. I love that. I would experience that again. I'm also like, I'm willing to play through that entire game again because that gameplay is so fucking good that it's fun and it's inviting me back. I want to have that experience a second time, a third time. And I feel like that's kind of a mean thing to say to Guardians of the Galaxy because I don't think every game needs to be a, oh, that was so good. I'll play it again. I think it's totally, totally fine for a lot of games. In fact, most games, I think it's totally fine for them to be, that was a great game. I'm glad I played it. I'm never going to play it again. I think that's absolutely fine. But for whatever reason, it's like, I feel like developers ever since like the inspiration has struck from like what Naughty Dog did with games like Uncharted, there's been like this response in the industry of these developers who like want to make these types of games and they extra hard lean into this like, eh, the gameplay doesn't have to be that special. But man, the storytelling is good. But man, the cinematography, like the how cinematic the game feels, how how movie like it feels, how like engaged you are at all times with the narrative. Oh, that's gonna be so next gen, or that's gonna be so immersive, that's gonna be so unlike what you're used to in most other games. And it's like that's great for a great one time experience. But I don't know. My my thing with Guardians of the Galaxy is like I'm excited to get back to it. I definitely want to find out what happens next in the story. I'm definitely ready for some more laughs. I enjoy the combat quite a bit. I would say that's actually one of the stronger suits. Is it, it borrows a little bit of some RPG elements from some other, you know, it's a Square Enix published game, although it's developed by Western developer Eidos Montreal. But it feels like it borrows some combat mechanics from some of its Japanese published brethren of like Square Enix and such, where there's some like action RPG combat kind of time use your squad shit that I kind of dig a lot. I think it's really cool. I think the combat is one of the the cooler aspects of the game for sure. But you know when you're not com- when you're not fighting, I almost said when you're not combating. When you're not fighting, it's just you know generic like linear walk through the level, characters talking, 
pick this up, interact with this object, explore that, jump over this, crawl under that, you know, that kind of stuff where it's like, okay, that's fine. I don't need to do that again. But uh, overall, I would say Guardians of the Galaxy is definitely a, you should check this out if you're, if you're interested in it already. Um, if not, I have a feeling this game will come to Game Pass because we see a lot of these Tomb Raider and Outriders and Marvel's Avengers and a lot of these Square Enix published games that are already on Xbox. We see a lot of them end up coming to Game Pass. They usually end up in there for like six months or so. I find it really hard to believe this game will not come to Game Pass probably by like in the next late next spring or early summer. I feel like sometime around like May or June we'll see this thing in Game Pass. But so I think you could either wait for that or pick it up on a good sale. It's been gone on it went on a good sale for Black Friday. I'm sure it will go on a great sale for New Year's. It, it's definitely worth thirty dollars. I, I think it's a it's a it's a pretty good time. All right, guys, so that's it for what I've been playing. Let's jump out of all that shit, get into the news, um, of which we don't have a terrible amount of, but we do have some decent stories. So so let's uh, let's get in, little ones. All right, so our first news story of the day, and maybe this is a little out of order just because our second one is also a pretty big one, but whatever, I think this order works. Our first big one, though, comes from VGC, who report that Square Enix's upcoming PC games going forward will cost $70, or 65 euro for the base version. It has been revealed. Both Forspoken and Final Fantasy VII Remake Integrate went up for pre-order on Steam and Epic Game Store this week with new higher price points. The digital deluxe versions of the game cost 90 euro or $95 US, but previous Square Enix title games launched for 60 or 50 euro. The new pricing brings PC games in line with new-gen consoles, which have pushed for $70 games since the PS5 and Series X launched last November. Square Enix appears to be the first major publisher to bring the $70 price uh, to PC platforms. The issue of next-gen prices is, is a divisive one, as publishers have yet to find a common ground. Last year, Sony Interactive Entertainment CEO Jim Ryan defended the company's decision to price select first-party PS5 games at 70 bucks, such as Demon's Souls and Spider-Man Miles, Miles Morales Ultimate Edition. And asked by Telegram if he considered $70 to be a fair price for video game, PlayStation boss Jim Ryan said, Yes, yes I do. If you measure the hours of entertainment provided by a video game, such as Demon's Souls, compared to any other form of entertainment, I think it's a very straightforward comparison to draw. Speaking of the Washington Post last year, Xbox head Phil Spencer was non-committal, non-committal, why does it sound like I'm saying that wrong? <laughs> On a subject stating that as an industry, we can price things whatever we want to price them, and the customer will decide what the right price is for them. End quote. Other publishers have decided to increase software prices for some of their next-gen games, including Take-Two with NBA 2K21 and Activision with Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. So, I feel like this is a big story because I actually have a lot to say on this one. Um, I know we've talked about this topic a couple of times over the past year or so as this has become a reality, but I think we need more context here. So, this has been a huge thing of it for me, right? And I'll use Battlefield as the perfect example because... Call of Duty, I would never not buy on console, and Halo is in Game Pass, so who gives a flying fuck, right? I'll use Battlefield as a big example, because we had the three big shooter games coming out this fall between Call of Duty Battlefield and Halo, and my biggest hang-up with, with uh, Battlefield, actually, the reason why I didn't even want to get it from a pretty early-on standpoint is because 
as you guys know, or as many of you know, I recently uh, uh, purchased a gaming PC this year with the intention of helping making it easier to do the podcast and YouTube videos and stuff like that. But it is a very gaming capable computer. And so now for the first time in my life, I find myself in a situation where I have the opportunity to be like, do I want to play a PC game? Because I'm an Xbox user. I have a Game Pass subscription. So I have Game Pass on my PC by way of that. And game Xbox is so synonymous with PC at this point that I can just easily flip between Xbox and PC at any given time. I love that flexibility, even though I don't use it too much. But the thing is, Battlefield, as I've said time and time again, is a franchise I kind of love. I've always really wanted to love, but I've always had a hard time finding it. Sometimes I, I like a Battlefield game, sometimes I don't. And I wondered, you know, it's such a PC-centric franchise. Should I play Battlefield on PC? And this is a long roundabout way of getting to it, but just bear with me for a second. So when the Battlefield beta happened a few weeks or a month or two ago, whatever the fuck it was, it was October, I think. Thankfully, it was, you know, uh, thankfully it was an open beta and I was able to try it on both my Xbox and my PC. And I walked away from that experience a little more confused than I, than I thought I would be. Because here's the thing is, I was like, maybe Battlefield is just a better PC game since it's always kind of been designed with PC as its primary platform. It's always been associated as like a big a bigger, more tactical, large-scale battle game. Maybe the precision of PC mount, of keyboard and mouse would really make this game a lot more fun than the more wonky style of controller that just results in more unfair deaths in this large-scale battle where respawning takes a year and a half. So I tried the game on both, and my takeaway was pretty similar in both experiences. I liked Battlefield 2042, but I found it to be like, I liked playing on Xbox because it was where I felt comfortable. It was where I wanted to play. It was my preferred platform. But yes, I felt like I was a little less capable than the other players. I liked it on PC because I felt like I was a little more capable, although I'm not as I'm not at quite as finely tuned with keyboard and mouse as I am with, with gamepad. So I didn't feel quite as at home and I didn't enjoy it quite as much playing on PC because although I felt like I could do more and I was more capable I didn't feel as comfortable if that makes sense so I had this whole hang up on like I don't know where to play this game well then on top of that the conflicting factor was the price because if I wanted to play it on my Xbox which is the platform I was probably going to go for it on because I was like eh, I still prefer Xbox $70 but if I wanted to play it on PC where you can mod it and the, you can make the graphics even better if you have an even more powerful PC and the sky's the fucking limit because PC is PC the game is $60, $10 cheaper than Xbox. And it was like, what the fuck is this about? So on the one hand, and that's, again, roundabout way of saying it, but on the one hand, that, that experience ended up just turning me off in Battlefield altogether. I was like, fuck it, I'll buy Call of Duty because I know I would never entertain that game on PC. And Halo's already included in Game Pass, so I don't got to worry about it. But on the one hand, that experience makes me understand Sony's perspective so much and kind of respect it to a point where I'm like, I love the idea to just be like, hey, listen, man, Games are super fucking expensive to develop. They're more expensive than ever before. I know you guys just bitch and moan about, oh, games are getting expensive to buy, but you really don't fucking understand how much money, how much risk goes into making these AAA big budget games. I get that. I respect it. I don't argue with it one bit. In that regard, bumping games from $60 to $70, I'm immediately on board. I'm like, hey, you do what you got to do. I just want the game to be the most complete full package it can be if the game's got to cost a little more to get that level of polish to make it next gen to do what you got to do then i get it you're like i'm not going to be stingy here i already think you know when i play most triple a games i already think 60 dollars is generally a bargain price for that experience anyway so i'm not going to sit here and argue about you know whatever but 
I feel like I'm being ripped off when you're like, hey, here's the same fucking game on two platforms, but on this platform it's ten dollars more. I'm like, that's that's bullshit. You know? So it's like I don't mind paying seventy dollars for Battlefield twenty forty two, but like make it seventy dollars uniform or make it sixty dollars uniform, but don't give me an Xbox tax because you can get away with it and give me ten dollars off on PC because you can't get away with taxing me extra. I don't I don't like that. So on one hand, I'm like, yeah, let's just go with Sony's thing. I get it because otherwise, this is the thing is gamers always think they, they never think one step ahead with this. It's like, OK, listen, if we keep games at $60 flat, no exceptions, what that means is publishers are going to look for that money elsewhere and they're just going to get harder and harder into the in-app purchases or loot boxes or or battle passes or whatever other kind of ways to monetize the game. And they're going to get more and more. In, invasive with that shit so it's like maybe if we just bump the price of games to $70 we can keep the publishers at bay and kind of minimize all that other bullshit we don't want to see in our games I don't know that's kind of the way I think of it I'm like okay but then Phil Spencer comes at it with a totally different perspective and says the whole thing about we don't like committing to a single price point for games we like to think that games can be priced kind of dynamically and that's something I've actually said many times on the show as well and I think that's actually the the, the more right attitude but still but still, that comes from a perspective where Phil Spencer is the guy who runs Xbox, which is Game Pass, which is the thing we're always talking about, where Game Pass allows us to have the $70 game, the $40 game, the $20 game, the $15 game, and they all get equal play because you're paying one price and getting access to all these games. So just try shit out that's interesting. Don't worry about which one's more AAA or which one costs more to make or which one's a more expensive game to buy. Don't worry about those factors. Just play the games, try them out, give them their due, and enjoy those experiences. So that kind of is easier said than done when you can price those games however you want on Xbox because the majority of your people are just going to play on Game Pass. But on PlayStation, where you don't have that service, that price point matters a whole lot more because... You know, no one gives a shit that Halo was sixty dollars because we're we all have Game Pass. Fuck it, we'll play there. But on PlayStation, people care if the next Demon Souls remake or whatever is seventy dollars or sixty dollars because you gotta buy that game. That's the only way to play it. You want to play it, you gotta pay the money to buy it. And so I feel like both of those statements come from a very. It comes with the the it's inside of like what our respective companies are doing at this moment in time. But in the long run, I agree with Phil Spencer more because there's a part of me that's like, okay, well, 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 wait a minute. Again, I don't mind paying $70 for a AAA game. I, you know, I just beat Halo Infinite. It took me 14 hours to run through the campaign. I'll play a lot of the multiplayer. I will play the campaign again. Um, but if I only ever got to play that campaign one time, that one 14 hour run I had in that campaign, that was worth that. That was so meaningful to me. That 14 hours it took me to play through that campaign one time on normal mode. That was so experiential and so meaningful to me. I would have paid 275 dollars, whatever, just throwing a random price tag. I would have paid 350 dollars for that experience because, as a diehard Halo fan and someone who thought that game was genuinely fantastic, that was worth that much to me. But that's not how everyone feels. To some people, it's like, ah, Halo Infinite. That game is not worth more than 30 bucks to me. Whatever. I like what Phil Spencer's saying here is because it allows for us to explore this in a more dynamic way. I actually think the industry had a better grip on this in like the NES days more than anything when a game could cost like $40 or $80 or, or $60 or whatever. Um, because how nice would it be if it's like I don't need to worry about the next Ubisoft Tom Clancy disgracing this dead man's name, whatever the fuck it's called, shooting game. I don't need to worry about this game trying to sell me NFTs and unicorn skins and all this bullshit because they priced it at a price point that helps them make a healthy profit on this game sales. Cool. 
Don't need to worry about other bullshit. Or you get a game like I don't know what's what's a smaller game that came out this year. Um, or what? Or no, let's let's use Battlefield twenty forty two as the example again. It's absolutely AAA in nature, tons of content, but it's multiplayer only. It doesn't include a campaign. It is clearly just more Battlefield multiplayer. Maybe you could have priced that game at forty dollars because you know you want to sell season passes, you know you want to sell skins and DLC packs and other shit like that, and it's just a multiplayer-only experience, well, maybe you could have just charged $40 for that game and gotten a way higher player base because you lowered the barrier to entry on a game that otherwise has significantly less content and offers significantly less by way of measuring it to, I fucking, what were we talking about, Halo Infinite or whatever, because... Every game is different. Every game seeks to do something different, to have offer a different experience, to monetize differently. And I love that idea that we should... Because the, the barrier here is twofold. It's from an audience perspective and a publisher's perspective. From the audience perspective, it is we need to destigmatize the price of a game. A game being $40 does not mean it is less of a game that is compared to one that is $60. It just means this game is $40. We need to destigmatize that. And that's a hurdle on the consumer end. Then on the, the developer slash publisher end, there's another hurdle, which is we need we need to instill confidence in these people that your price point will sufficiently give you the return on investment plus income and revenue you desire from this game. So if we want to see games with less predatory practices, with fewer microtransactions, with fewer in-app purchases and things like that, you know, outside of obviously the free-to-play game space, then we need to allow developers and publishers to price games accordingly and effectively so that they can make a healthy profit and not have to worry about alternate ways of monetizing a game, you know? So Again, it's like, I, I don't know, what what was that? Wasn't it like Shadow of War? The second, the Shadow of Mordor, Shadow of War. Shadow of War was the second one. Didn't they like retroactively add pay-to-win DLC in that game like 10 months or a year after it came out? Am I remembering that correctly? Like, what if they were just able to price that game at $80? And they're like, hey, here's our reasoning. Um, this game was incredibly expensive to develop. It's a AAA game. It took a team of 800 fucking people to make it. It took us three and a half years to develop this game. It was really, really expensive. And on top of that, we owe a lot of money for the licensing to use this property or whatever because tokens is state or whatever. I don't know. Maybe it was a really costly game for them to make. So, like, we think $70, $80 is the appropriate price for this game. And if the and if the audience were just like, hey, I I get that. I'm down with that. And they were like, I want to play this game. I believe it is worth that much. I will pay for that. Then they wouldn't have to be like, well, to make a proper return on investment, we need to add bullshit ninja skins and make your character do the Fortnite dance over dead corpses because otherwise, you know, $60 just isn't enough money considering how much money it costs to develop this game. And that's kind of what we're up against uh, here. And I, I just really love this concept that we need to effectively price these things in a scalable way. And what we're seeing here with Square Enix is kind of a bit of both things, right? Because now they're they're putting a flag in the ground and saying, guys, these games are $70 on PlayStation, they're $70 on Xbox, they're going to be $70 on PC. Why are PC players just getting $10 off, right? It's like, that's come on, we need, to, we need to do this right. $70, that's the price. Cool. If you think your game is worth $70, that is great. If you think, uh, I, I, I don't know much about, um, what's it called, that new game, Forspoken? Maybe, it's a, maybe it was worth $70, I don't know. Final Fantasy VII Remake, it, I, I assume that game is worth $70. I don't know, I'll never know because you'll never fucking put it on Xbox. But 
but again, this is going to create this divide now where it's like, okay, Final Fantasy VII on PC, oh, $70, but they're going to look and be like, well, I noticed that all of Ubisoft's games are still $60 on PC. I'll just get Far Cry 6 instead. It's like, oof, but now we still have this divide. So I, it, I'm kind of conflicted because I don't want Square Enix's takeaway from this to be like, all right, all of our games are $70 on PC now going forward. End of discussion. I want them to do to explore what Phil Spencer's talking about, explore the scalable side, you know, bring Project Octopath Traveler to PC, which it is on PC now, but like, can that be a $30 game? And Final Fantasy VII Remake can be a $70 game? Is that possible? And then we can still have an equal amount of respect for both games, considering one of them was made by a way smaller team than the other? I, I don't know. One of them has a way lower development cost than the other? I don't, maybe. Can we do a thing where, can we do a thing where, uh, EA agrees that maybe Battlefield 2042 should be, a $40 game with microtransactions because it's a multiplayer only game. And then, you know, maybe the, uh, what's another game coming out from EA, maybe the next star Wars Jedi game, maybe that's 75 because it costs a lot to use that star Wars license and Disney's fucking greedy as fuck. Yeah. And maybe, I don't know, but this whole blanket, like, no, everything is $70 or like, no, everything is $60. Again, it, it, it reinstills that, that fear with the publisher and developer where it's like, oh, do we need to find alternate ways to monetize this game? And it also justifies and perpetuates that stigma from the consumer side where it's like, oh, this game is $60. It's shittier than that game. That's $70 because $70 means it's more of a AAA experience and a lot of barriers when you start breaking down and having more open and honest conversations. And the problem is, I think so much of this gets chalked up to like, well, how many hours is this game to be? Okay, more hours equals more dollars. It's like, ugh, that's not a good way to put that. Or it's like, uh, is this game 3D or 2D? How should we, do, how should we you know, whatever. I'm like, I'll, I'll tell you right now, man. I, I think Metroid Dread should have been, you know, I get why it's $60. It's a Nintendo game. Nintendo gets away with whatever. But Metroid Dread, from what I experienced, just because of it, <clears throat> it just being more Metroid and nothing really to break the mold and nothing that's like really like, whoa, how the fuck did they make this? I don't know, man. For a seven-hour adventure that is just more of the same Metroid, probably took two years or so to make. I'm like, that that game should have been like 30, 40 bucks, in my opinion, to be honest with you. But not because it's 2D, because this year I played Cyber Shadow and that game was fucking awesome. I didn't even fucking beat it because it was so hard. But that's a $15 game I think could have been worth $60 because it was a one-man effort. God damn. Do you know how much, do you know how hard it was to probably make that game for one goddamn guy? I would have paid $40. I would have paid $60 for that game. No problem because that game's worth it. And it's just this thing. We got to work towards a more nuanced way in which we think about the market in which like, what is something worth? You know, what am I willing to pay for something? What, what makes a game valuable to me? And is it the amount of hours it takes to beat it? Is it the amount of hours of enjoyment you can get out of it? Is it the um, how next-gen it looking it is? Is it just that? Or is it what the publisher says it is? Because the publisher can get away at this price or this price. And is it okay for a game like Battlefield to be $70 and then try to throw in microtransactions? Or a game like Call of Duty to be $70 and then try to sell you a battle pass every two and a half months? Is that okay? Because Halo's free to play and it tries to sell me a, a battle pass like twice a year. These battle passes are like six-month battle passes, and it's a free-to-play multiplayer game. So at some point, it's like, I, I don't know, man. What's Which one? I, I don't know. And we got it. we're in a weird transitional period where we're really exploring the spectrum of all this, and I think there's a lot of discourse that needs to happen as a result of this transitional period. I don't think Sony's wrong. I definitely don't think Microsoft's wrong here, but I think 
everyone in the industry needs to be having this conversation, the publishers, the developers, and the players. And uh, until that happens, we're just going to keep having this wonky experience of like, okay, Battlefield 2042 is $10 cheaper on PC for no reason, but Final Fantasy VII Remake, which is just basically a game that came out on ps4 two years ago is 70 dollars on pc but fuck you xbox you don't get it at all and it's just like what what is happening here what what is the logic all right next up our second story this is probably the biggest story of the week but it broke later today so i kind of threw it in here last minute ign reports that ubisoft have announced and greenlit the development of a remake in the stealth classic game tom clancy's splinter cell but they'll probably call it tom clancy's splinter cell division x Infinity Edition Y NFT Supplement. Uh, anyway, announced on Ubisoft's website, the remake will be developed by lead studio Ubisoft Toronto, the developers behind Splinter Cell Blacklist. It will be built from the ground up using the Snowdrop engine, Ubisoft's proprietary engine, of course, which is used for the Division games, the upcoming Avatar game, and Ubisoft's uh, untitled Star Wars game that we uh, learned about earlier in the year. In an interview posted on the Ubisoft website, uh, producer Matt West said, "I think that this kind of has to be a remake as opposed to a remaster. Although we're still getting, we're still in the very early stages of development. What we're trying to do is make sure the spirit of the early game remains intact in all the ways that gave the early Splinter Cell its identity." End quote. Part of keeping the remake true to the series' identity is that it will be a linear game and not open world, akin to many other Ubisoft games. Hey, that's cool. As for the gameplay that happens within those linear levels, the emphasis is once again on stealth, not action. Quote, it's safe to say a lot of us on the team are stealth purists, and we're behind the level of, series, uh, level of seriousness when it comes to those kinds of uh, mechanics. And those sorts of things that we want to see in this game, says Chris Audi, Splinter Cell's new creative director. He continues with, we're very, very, very aware what makes classic Splinter Cell what it is. It's important for us to preserve that sense of mastery uh, by supporting players who observe the situations, make a plan, use their gadgets, and outsmart the enemies creatively to deal with the challenges that are presented with them. He explains, ideally, they'll end up coming out on the other side with no one having realized they were ever even there. That is the essence of Splinter Cell. So, I had to preface with this. I am not a Splinter Cell person. This is a huge blind spot in my gaming catalog. I have been aware of Splinter Cell ever since the very early days. I remember back in during the OG Xbox days, going to the store with my older sister, going to Walmart with my with my brother and my older sister to purchase the very first Splinter Cell game shortly after it came out, and then going to my older sister's, at the time, boyfriend's place to bring it to him for his birthday and be like, hey, happy birthday, here's Splinter Cell, and then voila, I was watching this guy on his OG Xbox booting up Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell for the first time, like, whoa, this game looks really impressive, but also, I'm like eight years old and I really want to play Mario Kart, and that's kind of like the extent of, of Splinter Cell for me. I remember my brother, uh, my older brother at the time, was very into Splinter Cell. He was like an aficionado on this game he had never played, and it wasn't until later um, where any of my brothers even started playing Splinter Cell, and that was the, the, the most... Ex the, the most exposure I ever had to Splinter Cell was like watching other people in my life play and enjoy it, but never giving it a try myself. I'm not a stealth guy. The closest thing to a stealth game I've ever beaten is the original Metal Gear Solid, which I do recognize is a stealth game, is it? but uh, that was more so because I really wanted to have under my belt that I've played the original Splinter Cell, and I really want to see what all the fuss is about with that with that game and its storytelling. It's hard to say because I, I played Metal Gear Solid so late 
you know, that by the time I played it, it was such an old, archaic mess of a game mechanically. And I, you know, I, I probably played Metal Gear Solid for the first time in maybe 2014, 2015. And so my takeaway on Splinters on, on Metal Gear Solid is the gameplay sucks. The story's really cool and it's a very creative game. I like it. So that I feel like that's kind of where I would be if I were to go back and try to play Splinter Cell. It's like, hey, this is a cool game. Sam Fisher's a cool character. This gameplay sucks. And I'm just, I just don't have the patience for stealth. I'm the kind of guy who's like, okay, this is cool. Can I pull out my gun and start shooting everything in sight now? So I recognize this is a hard thing for me to talk about because I'm just not a Splinter Cell guy. That being said, I know people have an extreme amount of love for this franchise, especially Xbox gamers. This game is very heavily associated with the OG Xbox. And I know with, I think Blacklist was the last one that ever came out. I know fans were really upset that Michael Ironside, the voice actor for Sam Fisher, was not in the game. I know the game, the game started getting progressively more actiony and less stealthy, and these kind of became criticisms of the franchise. I know those first three Splinter Cell games in particular, Pandora Tomorrow and... Uh, what's the other one called? Whatever. I know these games are like very heavily beloved and regarded, especially by OG Xbox fans. And it's just been a game people have been waiting and waiting and waiting to see return for so long. So my first thing is I am so happy for you guys that Splinter Cell is coming back. I'm so happy that this amazing part of history, Xbox history, Ubisoft history, gaming history is coming back in a way that I think a lot of people will be pleased because they're trying to, you know, Final Fantasy VII remake Splinter Cell. I think that's great. I think that's the way to do it as well because it seems like they deviated from what people loved so much about the franchise that now the only thing left to do is to go back from the get and kind of remake it, whether it's a spiritual remake or a ground-up remake of the original, and that's what they're doing. My concern is that the Ubisoft that exists today, right now, is not equipped for this job because think about the way the conditions in which this game are being announced. This game is being announced. And let me back up a little bit just because I think most people are going to be like, Oh, NFTs. No, no, no. Let's, let's, let's back up even further. Square Enix or Ubisoft rather. Why did I say Square Enix? Ubisoft is coming off of the past year or two of, okay, all of our big games are kind of underperforming compared to what we thought all these big generic open world Ubisoft sandbox type games are kind of underperforming some pump the brakes let's figure out what's going on here we're also dealing with a Ubisoft that's been under constant turmoil because of harassment claims and internal company scandals and stories coming out all this shit and talent leaving and people being reshifted and the company kind of being quiet and dark on certain things happening a lot of Activision type shit happening at Ubisoft that largely for whatever reason is starting to get ignored but this was a huge story especially all throughout last year so they're coming off that on top of that they're coming off of Far Cry 6, which is selling incredibly well, which is generally pretty well liked. But a lot of the critical reception is like, hey, this is old. This is tired. This is cliche at this point. What else you got for us, Ubisoft? Show us something new. This is also coming off the heels of uh, Cross... God, what is it called? Uh, Tom Clancy's Division X or whatever the fuck it's called. That free-to-play multiplayer Call of Duty knockoff, not a Call of Duty knockoff game. That is like super uninspired, super cliche, super boring, and no one gives a shit. And all of a sudden, it's like, what what happened to that game? I don't I don't even know what happened to that game. They announced it, and then it went away, and now we don't know where it is. They made that free to play battle royale game something scape that no one gave a shit about, and then it disappeared. They just announced that Ghost Recon um, Front Frontlines 
uh, battle royale type twist on the battle royale genre formula and everyone downloaded into oblivion was like we don't want this fuck you ubisoft do something cool you suck boo and now in the past week they just came out with the whole hey we're doing nfts well you guys think that's really cool you guys if you buy enough nfts from ubisoft we will personally mail you uh, a vape pen with uh, the Far Cry 4 villain, Pagan Min, um, uh, etched into the side of that vape pin. What do you guys think about that? And everyone's like, fuck you, Ubisoft, you suck. Don't you understand? Your penises are very small and we do not like you. And on top of all that information I've just I've just, I've just, just told you, you were also French. And everyone's like, uh, okay, 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 something's going on with Ubisoft. And the last thing I'll say <laughs> on top of all of that, and with all of that, I think Ubisoft is left in a position where they're like, okay, we need a goodwill favor. We need to do something for the fans, something for the audience to be like, hey, we're still the Ubisoft. We know, hey, we hear you. Hey, we got we got games coming for you. We're not that out of touch. Trust us. When we're not busy harassing our female coworkers, when we're not busy making the same open world game a hundred different ways, when we're not busy trying to scam you for crypto, we also make games you kind of like. And so I feel like what we're getting right now is not the announcement of like, hey, guys, we're hard at work on revitalizing Splinter Cell, which we know you guys have been asking about for years. No, no, no. What this really is, is like, guys, we know you guys have been asking for Splinter Cell for such a comically long, long amount of time that it's like, like no one ever thinks it's even coming like this. This is a joke. This actually isn't even happening. We know. And so let's pull this. This is like a in case of emergency break glass and pull fire alarm kind of situation. This is like a okay guys, we need something for the fans. Let's announce let's announce Splinter Cell right now. Fuck it. Yes, we don't have anything. But there's like five guys who were thinking about, you know, this is like EA. This is like how EA announces the next Mass Effect or how EA announces Skate 4. It's like, okay, guys, so there was a guy who one time accidentally stumbled into our building and was like, hey, I'm here to go uh, work on the, the fucking leaky faucet. And we're like, no, 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 you want the building next door. Sorry, man, this is building 807. You want 806. And he's like, oh, my bad. Let me go over to that door. But you just happen to notice he was a huge fan of Skate 2, the video game, and he had a, he had a wallpaper of Skate 2 on his iPhone 3GS. And you're like, oh my god, that's Skate. Let's take that picture and show it to everyone at E3 and be like, yeah, we're working on Skate 4. Like, yes. And then two days later, we got the announcement, Skate 4 is coming. But in reality, they hadn't even thought about the game for more than 48 hours or done a single goddamn lick of development or pre-development at any any point in time. So I feel like that's what this is. This is Ubisoft being like, how can we take uh, EA's worst um, business practice right now and apply that to our it, apply that to our company? And they're like, okay, let's announce a game that isn't even in development yet. And so is that conjecture on my point? On my part, of course it is, 100%. I don't fucking know. I have zero connections to the industry. For all I know, they have 90% of this game done, and it will be out on January 4th, and everyone's going to be like, whoa, I didn't realize Splinter Cell looked so good in HD. Sam Fisher is actually a girl, and he is, or she is beautiful, and I like to look at her while I'm stealthing. And I'll be like, whoa, my bad. I didn't know what I was talking about. But the reality is I'm pretty sure we're getting a break glass and emergency pull fire alarm situation. And they're like, the fans want Splinter Cell. We told them for years, essentially, with our silence, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. We put Sam Fisher in a mobile game no one in the world gave a shit about, which was like a nonverbal way of saying, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you to Splinter Cell fans. And now everyone's pissed at us because we keep touching women and selling NFTs, so I guess we'll announce a Splinter Cell game. Will you guys calm the fuck down and buy the next goddamn Assassin's Creed already? And that's, I think, what we're looking at here. Like, it's just... 
like how else are you supposed to look at this? Because the 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 timing, the 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 series of events that have led up to this moment. Like if you wanted to do it, because if you really had something to show, something to prove with the next, uh, the next Splinter Cell, if you weren't just trying to do damage control, this would be like, oh, E3 2022, we got, we got, oh, we got a big announcement for you. Because, you know, Ubisoft is usually the company that is most famous for the whole like, oh, they always end their E3 press conference with like a real big reveal. So that would be when they'd be like, oh, yeah, Splinter Cell's coming back. But the problem is they can't wait to E3 June 2022 or whatever the fuck it is. Because right now, everyone hates Ubisoft so goddamn much because they won't stop sucking. They won't stop being like, do you guys want Fortnite? No, we don't want Fortnite. Do you guys want Call of Duty? No, we don't want Call of Duty. Oh, you want crypto? No, you fucking idiots. Make a goddamn video game that looks fun to play with my thumbs on a, on, on analog sticks. And it's just like, okay, we'll make a, we'll make Splinter Cell. It's like that SpongeBob scene where SpongeBob's like trying to perform for customers at the Krabby Patty and only at the end of the episode does he actually start grilling Krabby Patties and the customers are like, that's what we've been waiting for. And he goes, they seem to like it when I put these patties on the grill. That's Ubisoft right now. We're all just like, make a fucking video game, anything, just do something. And they're like, you want another uh, Far Cry 7 with NFTs heard? Um, But anyway, I I digress. This is, um, I can't help but, I want to talk about this from the perspective of a Splinter Cell fan. Oh, I'm so excited, this and that. I hope they do this. I hope they don't forget that. All I can really say here is I don't think this game is really anything at this point. It's a premature development to kind of get in the good graces of the audience again. Um, They're making it in the Snowdrop engine, which is to be expected because it's a proprietary engine. They're going the way of EA, kind of with the... um, the, with the Frostbite engine where they're like, oh, we want to make our games in our proprietary engine, save money, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I get that. But if you're working on a whole new engine from a ground-up remake, that means this is a big-budget game that is very far away. But if I could say one nice thing about Ubisoft, because believe it or not, I don't actually hate Ubisoft as much as I sound like I do. I really want to like Ubisoft, and I have liked games they've made in the past. If I could say one nice thing to you, Ubisoft, here it is. This is what your audience wants. They want you to make single-player, creative games with interesting universes, interesting characters, interesting gameplay that don't feel like everything they've played before, that don't feel super derivative. And it's been so long since you've made something like the first Splinter Cell that, yeah, you can just make a from-the-ground remake for this game. And I think that will be very innovative because all you've really made for the past 10 years is, like, the same goddamn open world and a bunch of, like, buy-this-DLC bullshit. And so I I applaud you that this is the right thing, you know? I'm also still interested in that Avatar game that's been in development since I was in the crib. But, like, hey, good on you for making a good announcement. Good on you for saying, hey, guys, we're actually making a game you're, you're interested in. You guys want to actually spend $60 on a Ubisoft game and, like, not regret your, your life's decisions? Hey, we're making a game for that. So props in that department. I just can't help but feel like this is 100% like a... Like I said, in case of emergency, break glass. This is the broken glass for sure. All right, next next up here. From Windows Central, Microsoft has a six-part documentary series describing the trials and successes of Xbox from when it was very first incepted to up to its present. Whatever. You know about that. We talked about it a few weeks ago. In that documentary series, the new Xbox available on YouTube uh, documentary series, there is... An interview with Shannon Loftus, World Edges, the developer World Edge Studio head, and VP Sarah Bond, and Xbox head Phil Spencer. 
and they're discussing Lionhead Studios, the British studio known for the fa the Fable franchise, my personal favorite game they ever made, which is Black and White 2. Uh, those were PC um, uh, RTS games. Very creative games. Uh, anyway, so in the show, the Xbox team reflects on the closure of Lionhead, in which they describe the mistakes they learned from. Shane Loftus, who led global publishing at the time, lamented that, one of the biggest missteps that we learned from in the past was Lionhead. We had already published Fable 1, and it was a hit. People wanted more, so we bought Lionhead. Those were the good years. But after Fable 2, Connect came along with Fable Connect, and the marriage never really took off. And then Fable the Journey was a passion project for a lot of people, but I think that deviated pretty significantly from the pillars of what made Fable 1 and 2 so popular. Sarah Bond, who leads Microsoft's gaming business development team, called the running and closure of Lionhead a mistake. Microsoft closed the studio in 2016 after internal feedback for Fable Legends projects made it apparent that the multiplayer free-to-play game wasn't going to work for the franchise, saying, quote, we acquired Lionhead in 06 and it was shut down in 2016, just 10 years later. We reflected back on the experience. What did we learn? How did we, how did we not repeat our same mistakes? Phil Spencer, who leads Xbox, offered a glimpse into how Microsoft is running its current gaming acquisitions, reflecting on Lionhead Studios, saying, you acquire a studio for what they're great at now, and your job is to help them accelerate at what they do, not accelerate at what you do. Judging by games like Hellblade 2 and others being made at Microsoft Studios' acquisition, I'd say Xbox have indeed learned its lesson. Lionhead's legacy lives in a big-budget Fable reboot led by Playground Games, another British studio known primarily for the multi-award-winning Forza Horizon franchise. Fable's legacy will live on in its reboot, and many of the developers who worked on the franchise found their way into other studios, such as Two Points, known for a similarly good-natured Two Point Hospital and University Games, Rare's Sea of Thieves fame, and even Playground itself. So, this is a... Um, this is cool. I, I I haven't watched this documentary series yet, and I I know people are really enjoying it. I'm I'm looking forward to getting around to it. I'm just kind of you know I'll get to it. Whatever. Too busy watching Nerf YouTube videos in my free time, I guess. But um, this is cool. I I I do like how Xbox is like they're doing they're doing the thing that they're good at right now, which is like oh we're so cool and in touch and transparent with our community that we're even willing to like put out good investigative journal. Uh, journalism on our own goddamn company because God knows, you know, fucking mainstream games media isn't going to do that shit <laughs> themselves. So fuck it. We'll give you the inside scoop on what happened over there. So th this is cool. And it is cool to see the the people who were in charge then and are, are in charge now be like, hey, we fucked up more or less. I mean, the, the, it seems like I haven't, again, I haven't watched it yet, but it seems like based on this article, they only kind of lightly touch on it. But it is really cool to see them um, address this, especially in a documentary that is commissioned by Microsoft to talk about Microsoft and basically pat themselves on the back. It is cool to see them acknowledge something that they don't have to acknowledge and um, and uh, take ownership of a huge fucking mistake they made, which was shutting down Lionhead Studios. And what makes me especially sad, actually, about hearing this is that quote from Phil Spencer when he says, you require a studio for what they're great at now, and your job is to help them accelerate how um, how they do what they do, not accelerate them to what you do. That makes me fucking sad to hear because, yes, that is exactly right. You hit the nail on the head, of course. You would know better than I am. You're fucking executive at Xbox. I'm a guy in my boxers who talks about Xbox. No shit. But I, I love this because, yes... And one of the, the great hypocrisies of when Lionhead Studio was, was shut down was the blatant comparison to Rare. 
That's what drove me nuts because Rare is kind of a similar sto- story where, yeah, they were acquired much earlier in Xbox's history um, than Lionhead, but they are a British team who is known for really great games with really witty, funny, clever humor. And they made some excellent games for Nintendo back when they were owned by Nintendo. And then they were sold to Xbox and made a couple of okay games. And then they kind of fizzled out. And then Xbox forced them away from what they're good at. And were like, hey, go make avatars for Xbox. Go make Kinect games for Xbox. And all this bullshit. And for the longest time, you know, Banjo-Kazooie nuts and bolts. They were working on this creative project. And Xbox is like, make that a Banjo-Kazooie game. And all this shit. And for so many years... Rare was just kind of wandering around, doing a whole lot of nothing. Honestly, if you like, if you want to be like really brutal about it, Rare kind of did nothing of consequence from Viva Pinata until Sea of Thieves, and that's crazy. That's a crazy amount of time. And before that, the bigger thing they did was Conquer Live and Reloaded, because like Cameo wasn't even that, you know, like eh, it was okay, but it was no Conquer. It was no Banjo Kazooie. You know, grab by the ghoulies on the OG Xbox. That's that's a, a good one, but kind of a, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a sleeper hit, I guess, if you want. But the thing is, it's like Rare had a similar trajectory where there were just so many years where Rare was like directionless, doing whatever, making shovelware for Connect, being forced onto these projects that weren't in their wheelhouse and just doing all this busy work. And they were the witty, clever, funny British studio from Microsoft. On the other hand, you have Lionhead, who's kind of a similar thing, where they did Fable. Fable's great. People loved it. They're this witty, funny, clever team from from the UK, and they make Fable 2, and people love it, and then Microsoft deviates them, putting them on all these projects and connect and all this bullshit, like, do this, do this, do this, and instead of just letting the company be and doing their fucking thing, they're like, eh, why did all those things we forced you to do that you didn't want to do kind of suck? Well, you're, you're done. You're canceled. And that was one of the hardest, that, that was such a shitty thing, especially because it happened at such a rough time in Xbox's history. Wouldn't it have been so much cooler if they were like, just just do your Fable, like, uh, what was that game called? Fable Legends or whatever. Just, just or you know, do your thing, whatever. Rebrand it, make whatever you want it to be. But let's get to work on, like, whatever you want to make. Like, go, go, like, Big Sky, whatever big project you want to make. If it's another Fable, great. If it's something entirely new, great. But instead, they're like, no, you get the axe and Rare gets another chance. And the really sad thing is you can always compare the trajectory because around the same time, it's like Lionhead got shut down. And that was, I believe, spring or summer. I think that was summer of 2014, if I'm not mistaken. I'm pretty sure that was the summer of 2014 where Lionhead got the axe. And the worst part is the next summer, summer of 2015, was when Rare announced Sea of Thieves. So the fact that these two teams that have somewhat of a similar trajectory, somewhat of a similar upbringing, somewhat of a similar way they found themselves into Xbox um, in terms of just being like these acquisitions from outside, um, known for their wit and their charm and their humor and in these fun, unique British games, if you will. And then they come into the Xbox fold and then they both kind of have this, this, this cutoff point after the same trajectory of like being forced into connect and all this bullshit that didn't work for them. One of them gets the axe. One of them goes on to reinvent themselves, make Sea of Thieves. If you said 10 years ago, Rare's going to make this game Sea of Thieves. Here's what it is. Here's what it plays like. Here's what it looks like. Here's what it will be like. Here's how will the audience will react to it. If you showed me that, I'd be like, the guys that make like Banjo-Kazooie are making that. I'd be like, what? But here it is. 
you know, it's 2021. Sea of Thieves is still huge. It still does really, really well. It's one of the most streamed games. It has amazing concurrent player base on Xbox and especially on PC. It's really beloved. It's made tons and tons of money. It's put Rare back on the map. People respect them. People take them seriously again. And it reinvented them. And it's like, I just can't help but think, like, what if that were, what if that had been Lionhead? What would they have made if you just fucking backed off and were like, hey, guys, do your thing? It sucks that, you know, it's great that they learned their lesson or whatever, but it sucks that it took losing Lionhead to get there because it's like, you look at the way Phil Spencer talks about the acquisition of Bethesda, where he's like, we're going to let these guys just kind of do their own thing. We're going to fuck off. We're going to let them just be out here, Maryland, making Skyrim for toaster ovens or whatever the fuck they do. And we're just going to leave them alone because they've proven that what they do, they're good at. Man, can you imagine if they had that attitude with Lionhead back in the day? It sucks. That would be such a strong... Such a strong team to have in their wheelhouse. And and I think you still could have Playground Games' Fable reboot. Because I like to think of a world where Lionhead went on to be like, hey, we have this new idea. We want to make this new game, new IP, new whatever. It's really awesome. Who knows what it is? Who knows what the fuck it is? But maybe it would have been phenomenal. Maybe it would have been an RTS. Maybe it would have been another open world RPG. Maybe it would have been a totally different setting from anything we've ever seen from them. Who knows? But it would have been so cool to see them go off and do that. And then Playground can still do the Fable reboot. Because we see shit like that happen on PlayStation, right? Like, where it's like, hey, uh, uh, Naughty Dog have moved on. They make The Last of Us. They make this grim motherfucking game about zombies. And everyone dies and it is sad. But we can still commission, you know, other teams to make a, a new Jack and Daxter game. Or, you know, why why can't... Uh, who made that? Sumo Digital? Are they the ones who made it? The fucking... Um, or no, not Sumo Digital. It was, uh, fuck, I can picture the green logo in my head. Whoever made it, uh, like Sly Cooper 4, while uh, while while the developer of, Sly, of OG Sly Cooper, um, Sucker Punch, was working on, like, Ghost of Tsushima or or, um, or Infamous. You know, it's just like, why, why couldn't there have been more of that? I don't know. Obviously, this is all lament in hindsight. But it sucks. It's cool to see them take ownership of this and admit this, something that we've all known for a long time. But I can't help but constantly think about those two things in tandem. The the way things went <clears throat> for Lionhead, the way things went for Rare, and the kind of similar paths they were on. But it's just one got lucky and one didn't. And it was kind of Xbox's fault. I, I would say other than... To me personally, as someone who actually likes the idea of the Kinect, as someone who likes a lot of what the Xbox One was originally trying to do before gamers had a fucking heart attack and a field day bitching about everything, before all that, I, I'd say those really aren't my big complaints about Xbox when I look back on their history. My big complaints on Xbox are the way they fucked up their relationship with Bungie and the way they fucked up their relationship with Lionhead. Those are the two that get me the most. Because at the end of the day, it's like I don't. I, I actually think Connect was cool, and that most people were just curmudgeon assholes who didn't want to give anything new a try, and that if people actually like put put some time into just con- like allowing this thing to be a part of the Xbox experience, they would have realized, hey, Connect is fucking cool. Hey, Xbox is trying to like make the future possible right now, and we're just too busy being like, I want to shoot more bad guys with skull blaster guns. But it's like. That's that's not what sucked about Xbox. What sucked about Xbox during their darkest days is they made fucking the guys that made Halo, the guys that created Master Chief, they made them pissed off and go away because they couldn't just stop being so corporate overlordy. And they've learned their lesson since, and it took losing Bungie, it took losing Lionhead, but man, it's like, I just hope the guys at Playground Games just know how good they have it. But no, I mean, I don't know. I, it's a, that, That's more of like a lamenting 
kind of story. Let's uh, think back to the good old days. You know, wish we could turn back time, but now we're but now we're so stressed out. Next up, and these are two wrap up stories. They're kind of of similar natures, where we're just going to talk about numbers and, and lists of things, but. Small little wrap-up stories. I'm excited to talk about these guys. I didn't realize this podcast was going to go so fucking long. Of course it is. All right. Next up, from Nintendo Everything, because I guess IGN or GameSpot or fucking Polygon, these big sites, can't be bothered to post important information like this. But Nintendo Everything has posted the NPD Group uh, listings for the top 20 best-selling games in the United States for the month of October 2021. The results can be found below... Not October, sorry. This is November 2021. Ah, that's a typo. All right. I'm very excited to talk about this. This is actually insane when you think about it. The top 20 best-selling games for the month of November. Number one. I can't wait to say this one. Call of Duty Vanguard. Whoa. Who would have saw that coming? Call of Duty, the game that is the best-selling game of the year every fucking year, is the best-selling game of the year. Color me Color me surprised. So that is, of course, of no of no surprise whatsoever. But uh, Call of Duty Vanguard, number one. Battlefield 2042, number two. And I'm sure it's a distant number two because Battlefield never sells as well as Call of Duty, but it always sells very, very well. So both highly successful games. Big props to them both, whatever. So Call of Duty Vanguard, then Battlefield 2042. Number three was Pokemon, the new Pokemon games, whatever. Number four was Forza Horizon 5. That's a pretty great spot for racing, which is a pretty niche market. Also, considering this is physical sales and this game is available included in Game Pass, so that's a great deal as well. Uh, Madden NFL 2022, Super Mario or Mario Party Superstars, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy at number seven. That's pretty good. Good for them. It seems like it's selling okay, actually. Uh, FIFA 22 at eight, Far Cry 6 at nine, NBA 2K22 at 10, Just Dance 22 at 11, Mario Kart 8 at 12 because God hates us, Marvel's Spider-Man Miles Morales at 13, Animal Crossing New Horizon at 14, Back for Blood at 15, Shimigami Tensei 5 at 16, Minecraft on 17, and then 18 and 19 are Zelda Breath of the Wild and Super Mario or Super Smash Bros. And 20 is Ghost of Tsushima. A couple things to note here. First of all, Forza Horizon 4 making number four is very, very, very impressive when you consider that this is this is digital, this is physical sales of games um, for the most part. Or sorry, this is. Di- Nintendo is dig- is is physical only. Everything else is digital and physical. So let me make that correction. This is pretty impressive when you consider that people can just get this included in Game Pass. But the, even with that, between physical sales and digital downloads on Steam and on Xbox, Forza Horizon Five still got number four best selling spot for the month of November. Even though it's a fucking racing game, which is a pretty popular genre, but still pretty niche genre. You think about Call of Duty Vanguard. Who plays Call of Duty? Well, don't ask gamers because they'll pretend they don't play it when they actually do. But the reality is most people who own a goddamn Xbox come across Call of Duty at one point or another. No shit, it's the number one best-selling game. It's Call of Duty. Who plays Forza? Well, I know like maybe one out of five people I, I, I talk to about video games play Forza because... Forza is a niche thing. It's a racing game. And yes, it has a big passionate fan base within that niche audience, but it's not for everyone. Most people are like, yeah, I don't give a shit about racing. I want to catch them all. I don't want to race them all. So fuck off. Pokemon sells better than Forza Horizon. But that is a very respectable spot. So that's number one. Number two is, of course, Call of Duty was the best-selling game. And of course, it outsold Battlefield. Always has been the case. Probably always will be. Nothing surprising there. It just goes to show you, despite gamers constantly shit-talking a game and making it seem like in our discourse that 
the game is doing bad, it's blo- it's bombing, it's flopping. Yes, just because it's selling soft by Call of Duty standards doesn't mean it's not selling incredibly well. And guess what? It's selling incredibly well. Uh, next thing to notice, Mar- Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, really glad to see that doing well on there. Of course, you got your sports games always up there. And then goddamn Nintendo always making the list. Fucking Mario Kart 8, a game that is old as dirt because it was on the Wii U in 2014. Who gives a shit? Number 12, somehow. Animal Crossing, still doing great. Back for Blood, good to see it doing okay. Minecraft always on there as well. Surprised we didn't see Grand Theft Auto 5 on here, but then of course some other God seeing Ghost of Tsushima and Zelda Breath of the Wild on here, that's that's impressive shit. And I think Xbox is getting to the point where they're gonna start having those games on that list. They're gonna start having their uh, their big releases kind of reoccurring. Um, now that we're starting to see a lot of big releases from Xbox, I'm curious to see what December's numbers look like once we get Halo on there because obviously Game Pass, but also the popularity of Halo. All right, and then our final story is all the new games coming to Game Pass. So from the Xbox Wire, we got a bunch of new games coming into Game Pass. On December 15th, we've got Among Us coming to cloud. On December 16th, we've got Ben 10 Power Trip, Broken Age, Firewatch, which is a great game. If you haven't played Firewatch, oh, Firewatch is so good. And The Gunk, I already have that loaded on my Xbox. It's a day one Game Pass game. I'm ready to try it out. The Lake is also going to be available. Um, Mortal Kombat 11. Paw Patrol Mighty Pups Save Adventure Bay, and Race with Ryan, not to mention Record of Lodos War, Deed Lit, Lit, The Wonder Labyrinth, fuck you, and finally Transformers Battlegrounds, which I might have to give a try. Uh, But also on December 31st, we're losing a handful of games, so on that day we will lose, on New Year's Eve, we will lose Pro Evolution Soccer 21, who gives a shit, The Little Acre, and then here's the kicker. Yakuza 0, Kiwami 1, and Kiwami 2. All three of those Yakuza games are leaving December 31st. Thank God I beat all three of those. But this is... If, guys, if you haven't finished all these Yakuza games, that means Like a Dragon, 4, 5, and 6. These games might be gone. 3, 4, 5, and 6. These games might be gone soon. So get them in while you can. I need to, I need to get back to Yakuza. But, guys, that's going to do it for all of our news this week. Now let's jump into our quick, important enough news, stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant our own discussion, of which we have a short few. VGC reports that developer Ebb Software has uh, committed on to a 20, October 2022 release date for the horror game Scorn, which keeps getting delayed and delayed and delayed. I think it was supposed to be out twice by now. Uh, the release date was announced via the latest trailer, which is available now if you want to watch. Next up, VGC reports Microsoft have released a four-hour documentary called Power On, the story of Xbox, which we just kind of touched on. It is a six episodes, each running at about 40 minutes. They're available now on YouTube. Covers everything from the OG Xbox up to today and even talks about crazy shit like when they got rid of, of Lionhead and the Red Ring of Death and the Xbox One launch. So even gets a little controversial there. It's on YouTube, Roku Channel, Redbox, Microsoft, and IMDB TV. And finally... VGC reports that Ubisoft have officially announced the next Assassin's Creed expansion called Dawn of Ragnarok will be released on March 10th, 2022. Dawn of Ragnarok, quote, is the most ambitious expansion pack in the history of the series, the description reads. You must personally experience the fate of Odin, the War of the Norse, and the destiny of the God of Wisdom, end quote. And with that said, guys, that's going to do it for all of our podcasts this week. We're going to skip the new game releases, the Game Pass, and all that because it's going long from now we are going to transition into the Halo Infinite discussion. So, guys, if you have not beaten Halo Infinite, if you do not want the game spoiled for you, if you haven't, if you can't get around to it right now, this is the point where the podcast ends. So, don't forget to leave your top five game, your your, your five favorite games of the year in the comments, and have a great weekend. 
But if you want to listen to the rest of the podcast, if you want to listen to the discussion about Halo Infinite with the audience's feedback and discussion and my takes and impressions and everything and all the campaign shit, we're going to jump into that right now. So you have been warned. We are exiting the podcast. We are entering spoiler territory. You have three, two, one seconds to go. Get the fuck out of here. Have a great goddamn day. How have you not been Halo Infinite yet, you crazy human being? All right, guys. So I want to spend 20, 30 minutes talking about Halo Infinite. Everything on the table. Spoilers out the ass. And I got to say real quick, I was really ready to have this conversation like four or five days ago. But I have not played the campaign in maybe three or four days now. And I am like a little removed from it now to the point where... Probably should have made some notes and outlined this, but instead what I did was I, I solicited your comments and I, I kind of organized some in terms of what topics you guys were talking about. So I thought what we could do here is we'll just kind of pick topics that you guys touched on, read your comments, and kind of use that as jumping off points to talk about the game in a general sense. So let's start with just general impressions. And I want to read your comments and then I'll kind of interject with my experiences as well with that. So our first comment here. We're going to talk about general impressions. First comment comes from Redo Vandal, who wrote in, says, and some of these comments are a couple days older than others, so maybe some of your opinions or experiences have changed since, but Vandal says, out of the highly anticipated release, Halo Infinite is king. I think it's safe to assume that this game delivered a vibrant multiplayer in such an outstanding story. I'm literally milking side in main quests by filling in time, exploring the Halo Zeta world in hilarious Easter eggs. Also has me thinking... If this is how the original Halo concept was was marketed to experience, if this is how the original Halo concept was marketed to experience, so I, yeah, because they really do keep trying to like beat the Halo CE drum with this game. Personally, having beaten it now, I think this game reeks of Halo Three and Halo Five more than any of the other Halo games. A touch of Reach, a touch of CE, but. I think if there's any Halo game or two Halo games it reminds me of the most, it is definitely Halos 5 and 3. And we'll talk about this more when we get into the story, but I'm really surprised by how much this game still feels like 343's Halo from a narrative perspective, but it's still kind of getting away with it, so to speak, and like audiences are in, are happy with it. That, now, that makes me happy. As someone who loved Halos 4 and 5, that makes me very happy to see people like finally giving 343 some respect for their hard efforts, but... I'm a little surprised in that regard because it's a little more like 343's version of Halo than I was originally in expecting, and I don't know why. But yes, this game overall, I, I, I would agree, it is it is king. It is phenomenal. This game, I was talking to my brother about this. If I could judge Halo Infinite in an isolated context, removed from every other Halo, if for some reason this were the only Halo in existence and the story still made sense without the context of all the other Halo games, if this was just the one and only Halo game, I would say this game is a 10 out of 10, absolute must-play, best game of the year, no doubt about it, everyone should play this game or face the consequences of having a small penis. My hang-up is, mo most of my gripes with this game come from understanding what previous Halo games have been, the story they were trying to tell with Halo 5, and kind of like the bait-and-switch of like, not bait and switch rather, but um, the whole like this game, this game's development and intention and inspiration was beholden to the, the will of the fans. Without that, I would just say, God, this game is so fantastic. And that's how the game should be judged in, in its own context. In its own context, it is a fantastic game. It is, it is king. The, the story 
is completely captivating and engaging from start to finish. One thing this game does really well for Halo, and I would say Halo 4 in particular actually did this very well um, also, and Halo 3 does this pretty decent for a 2007 game also, but Halo Infinite does it by far the best, is it has that, like, Guardians of the Galaxy, um, um, Uncharted kind of thing of, like, there's pretty much almost always consistent commentary it's not to the level of guardians of the galaxy or uncharted or something like that but it is by halo standards pretty consistent where like there's always something you're taking in narratively someone's always saying something you're always learning new information something is the the narrative is always being pushed forward sometimes it's environmental sometimes it's a new zone you you've reached sometimes it's someone on an intercom it's an audio log you pick up and sometimes it's just chief and, and the weapon the ai going back and forth and talking I find this to be incredibly captivating because I love Halo's story. I love Halo's world. I love Halo's lore and I want to learn more about it. And I love these characters and I want more of them. And so having them be constantly integrated on top of Halo's iconic or, 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 or signature 30 seconds of fun gameplay where like I'm just constantly looped in because the game itself is so fun to play. Marrying those two things together is like, whoa, it's just so much fucking fun. It makes the game so immersive. Like I said, when I played this game, I sat down the second it was available. I played 12 hours straight. I stopped. I ate a little pizza. I played. I went to bed. I slept for five hours. I woke up, played four more hours, beat the fucking game. I just could not stop. I could not see anything else, do anything else, be bothered by anything else. It was Halo Infinite or nothing because everything about this game was fully captivating. I wasn't, I wasn't even remotely tempted to do a single other thing other than play this game. I was so content with it. And... There are so few, I very few games. I think famously the reason why I hate why um, Mario Galaxy is always regarded by myself as my favorite game of all time is because it is probably the most famous example I have in my in my history in my life of playing video games of where I had that experience of like this game is so captivating and so alluring, and so fun. I don't care about anything else in the world. I you can wave a million dollar bill in my face. Like tell me, tell me the house is on fire and yeah, I need to get out quick. You know, like tell me Spider Man is outside and he's waiting to give me a spider that'll bite me and give me superpowers. I don't care. I don't care about anything. I just want to play this game. Mario Galaxy gave me that feeling. Halo games usually give me that feeling. Halo Infinite really gave me that feeling. And I don't know if maybe it's just because like after six years, I'm just so fucking hungry for more halo which has been way too long since we've gotten one of these maybe that's the case but man oh man i was every second of this game just like this is so good six years was it worth the wait absolutely absolutely it was worth every bit of the wait i know i know the game had some performance issues and some like little hiccups here and there and like some of the mouth movement was running at 30 fps for some reason say 60 fps this was all ancillary minor bullshit to me i was like you know the the bug where they're like hey don't quick resume because you might lose some of your collectibles make sure you turn off the game restart it if you're going to get in and out these things had like little to no effect on me i was like whatever all that shit will be fixed at some point. I don't care. I just, th- this story, this game, where does it go next? What's the next level? What's the next story beat? And then on top of that, Zeta Halo is so, it's so much fun to play in, even though I recognize that it totally lacks environmental diversity. It is relatively small, which I actually think is a plus. It is very samey in terms of what you can do on the island, the kinds of things you can hunt for, explore, collect, uh, and do, the outposts and everything you can, you know, the propaganda towers, all that shit. It's pretty one note and samey in terms of what you do. It's not anything really out of the ordinary in that regard. But again, that Halo gameplay loop is so captivating and works so well that it makes that otherwise 
generic open world so much fun. And I think about a game like Far Cry. Like Far Cry, I like Far Cry. I, I shit on it sometimes, but I, I really enjoy Far Cry. I love 3 and 4 in particular. Far Cry has that problem sometimes where it's like, yeah, this open world's cool, whatever. But like, I'm done with this mission. I need to do this next mission. The next mission's on the other side of the map. And all there is for me to do is walk or run or drive a car or do whatever all the way to the place I gotta go to talk to the guy to get the next mission. I don't care. But Halo Infinite is like, Oh, the next mission is all the way up the map. Oh, well, I'm not going to fast travel because you know what I like doing? I like taking my grappling hook and being Spider-Man, hooking to the tree and hooking to the forerunner structure and hooking into the enemy and just fucking swinging my way around the map. That's so much fun. The mechanics, the traversal feels so good. And on top of that, it's like enemy encounter? Yes, please, because... The gameplay loop is so fun. They they nailed it. They play tested the fuck out of this game. It is so well polished in terms of in terms of gameplay to where it's like every enemy encounter is like, oh, this is exactly the right number of enemies. This is exactly the right placement of enemies. This is exactly the right way to to stage this this battle. And that's what really impressed me. It's like this is an open world game, so it can be really hard to get these things right. These random encounters with enemies, but man, like they nailed this shit. It's like for an open world game where you can just explore and run into shit. They really make enemy encounters feel very intentional and very well thought out and very well meticulously placed. And it's just like, God, it's like, I'm just trying to get from point A to point B, but like, I don't mind stopping to do this battle. I don't mind web swinging around the goddamn map. Like, this is fun. This is worth it to me. And very, very few open world games get that right. And I just absolutely love that about this game. Um, let's read another comment. Count Skyler says, I really like the game so far, maybe eight or nine missions in. Again, that was a while ago. You've probably beaten it by now. And I've been knocking out a good portion of the side quests. I love the gameplay and the traversal. I'm really enjoying the story so far. I'm glad the world isn't any bigger, but it would, would have liked to see more variety on each island. Variety is both in both the enemies and biomes. It's clear that a great, it's clear they have a great set to add through in the future. So Count Skyler talks about a couple things I really want to get into. And one thing that I want to save for the end of the discussion, which is the future of this game. Yes, I, I think this game desperately needs more diversity in enemies and biomes. With enemies, I'm a little more forgiving because I'm like between, you know, the, the Banish and the co the Covenant, whatever. It's like, okay, we got we got Brutes, we got Covenant, we got Elites or whatever, we got Grunts, we got Jackals, we got all the traditional enemies. We got basically the Halo 3 lineup, actually, of, of, of enemies to fight. It's like a mix of like Halos uh, 3, 2 and 3. That's great, but again... My, part of my hangup with this game is I cannot separate the fact that Halo Infinite is supposed to be Halo 6. It is the events that, that take place after Halo 5. And I understand Halo fans didn't like Halo 5, and I understand there was a bad reception to Halo 5's story, and I don't really know why, because Halo 5 had an awesome story. It wasn't perfect, but it had a pretty goddamn cool plot, a really cool place they were taking the story. And a lot of this game was... 343 reacting to fans, reacting to negative response and saying, okay, we've kind of written ourselves into a corner where we got to tell the story, but at the same time, we got to like make people like Halo again. And you can feel that in the enemy variety. You can feel that. It's like, guys, in Halo 4, you introduced, you introduced Prometheans and they were not the best class of enemy in a Halo game by any stretch of the imagination, but they were cool. They were good. They were welcome addition. In Halo 5, you perfected the Prometheans, and they were really fun to fight, and they were really cool, and their weapons were awesome, and it was great. Halo 5 had such great enemy diversity. You had the Covenant. You had the fucking... The, you had the Prometheans and between all the different races in both of those factions. It was so many enemies to fight. It was so good. God, I loved it. And then you get to Halo Infinite, and it's like, what happened to the Prometheans? Can the story tell me something about it? 
I know 343 have said like, oh, they're still very much active. They're just kind of in the backseat right right now. They're somewhere else. It's like, yeah, but man, we just played two Halo games in a row where like the main enemies were the Prometheans and the Halo Coven- the the Human Covenant War ha- had been finished. It's like, and don't get me wrong, the Banished are possibly the coolest enemy faction in the Halo universe ever. I, that's what makes Halo Wars 2 so cool. Don't get me wrong. I love the Banished, but what the fuck happened to the Prometheans? They were just there and now they're gone? And these are the kinds of things that hold me back where I'm like, this game's a masterpiece. You know, that's the 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 part of my brain that's like, I've, I've experienced Halo Infinite. It's great. I'm like, oh, this game's amazing. There's nothing wrong with it. And then there's the other half of my brain that's like, I've played Halo 5. I love Halo 5. I've been playing Halo 5 and defending Halo 5 religiously for six years. And I'm like, oh, they just really they just really spit on Halo 5 with this game, did they? They just, they just really just fucking like fly in the face of that game. They don't care. And that's one of the things. I'm like, the enemy variety... Where the fuck are Prometheans? But why are Prometheans gone? Because this couldn't just be Halo 6. This had to be Halo Infinite, which is a game all about bringing Halo back to its original vision and making the fans happy again. And is it a great game? Oh, absolutely. But is it also kind of an insult to Halo 5 and everything Halo that 343 had worked up on until this point? Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. And so I think that's the thing with enemy variety. And, and same with biomes. Here's, here's the thing is we'll, we'll get into this more and more um, when we talk about the future of the game. But obviously this game is set to be a platform for 10 years. They will add mil- multiple DLC. And if you, once you get to the end of the game, you know about, oh, we, we learn about the endless at the end of the game. And so we kind of know where they're going next with a new faction of enemies. So it's not like they're completely abandoning any variety. So we we know there's more coming. Uh, as far as the whole scale and scope of the world, I agree with you. So we talked last week about the story that came out where originally this was supposed to be like Halo Breath of the Wild where it was supposed to have a massive world and they had to scale down and cut out like two-thirds of the game and the map and everything and really scale back and re-envision re, uh, what this game could be. And as much as like that sucks to see, like I think the game is so much better off for that having been the case because... This game being that kind of like, yeah, it's open world, but it's not like open world. You know, it's like you can explore the whole map in a pretty short amount of time. You can get from the furthest point of, of one end of that to the other in a pretty decent amount of time. Like, it's not that huge. I think it really helps them focus in on making those moments with enemy encounters really curated and really special. It helps make those like natural moments of like, I'm in this part of the open world. Now I'm just exploring this infrastructure, this foreign structure and boom, now I'm in the next level. And it's just such a smooth, seamless transition from open world gameplay into linear traditional Halo level. That's some of the most special shit Halo Infinite does. And it, I don't know if I can think of another game that does that nearly as well or even, you know, well at all. It's just so amazing how the game starts out very linear. It's like a traditional Halo level, then another traditional Halo level, then you're let out on Zeta Halo. And then there's these missions where it's just like, I'm in the open world, I'm taking down this fortress, I'm taking down this like turret thing, and then I'm taking out this boss, and then it's like, oh wait, we gotta go in this structure, what were they doing in here? And then boom, it kind of just naturally transitions from like, in the open world to in a mission. It's kind of like De- it's like a better version of what Destiny does. Like where Destiny, it's like you launch into a planet, you're in that open space of a planet, which is kind of like Zeta Halo, which is like any of the planets you're on in Destiny. But then when you want to do a mission or a quest, it's like you got to launch into the specific level, like select it from the map, it loads you in, and then you're like in the the quest or the story mission. That's great. But one of my gripes with Destiny has always been like, I wish it felt more seamless. I wish I could fly to the planet or naturally get into the mission rather than having to like, you know, go from here to here to here. 
Um, Halo Infinite kind of sol- solves that a little bit where it's like, yeah, man, it's like you just you're in the open world one minute, then you're in a traditional linear Halo level and the and the transition is seamless and you don't even think about it. And that's how you know they've done it right is because you don't even think about it. It just happens and you're just along for the ride and it's great. I love that so far, or so much rather. But yeah, I, I, I think having the scale back smaller open world actually ended up being, I, I feel like there's going to be some backlash or I thought there would be more, but maybe in hindsight there will be, I don't know, that like the marketing was very much like explores it a halo, explores it a halo, big, big open world, whatever. But in reality, it ended up being like, eh, like okay sized open world, but very well curated by open world standards. Yeah. I think, I, I think that's one of the big, big pluses to this game. One of the things that I don't think is getting enough praise and attention, honestly, and I think that's a lot of what, you know, we, we, we learned about like kind of what Joseph Staten's job was on Halo Infinite because he's been the face of the game for the past year, but he's only been working with 343 on the game for the past year. So the game was already ma- basically made by the time he got there, but his job was basically, as the reporting goes, he was the guy who was like, guys, focus on what you have here. What is the special sauce to this game? And focus on just playtesting and polishing up that experience in that loop and honing in on that to the highest degree. And I feel like those are the parts of this game where you see the Joseph Staten kind of um, uh, influence on it, which is like where it's like, why am I in an open world, but all these encounters feel so fluid and natural and perfectly curated and executed? Why am I so seamlessly leaving this open world into a linear level as if it's just naturally how it's supposed to go? There's that one level where you're taking out like those three turrets or whatever and then there's like in that like mining area of the map and then that massive explosion happens and she's like oh well we're gonna go down there and explore or whatever and then you like go into the mining facility and that transition like out of that mining facility that's in the open world into that level is like what the fuck because it just feels like you're just exploring more of the ring but no you're not exploring more of the ring you're just heading into a level and you just your brain just doesn't even think about it until after the fact and I'm like, if they can keep that up with Halo Infinite, I think that will be such a signature move that I think other open world games are going to have to look at that going forward and be like, how do, how do we replicate that? Because that's good. That's very good. That It actually really addresses a lot of my criticism with a lot of open world games, which is, it's like, it, there's it's open world, it's endless in terms of the ways you can approach it, but there's no, there's no like, it, it doesn't ever feel like intentional or like cinematic or like there's like a beautiful transition or like something that they want to direct your attention to and show you because the game is constantly just like, ah, you, you make the fun, you do the thing. And I like how this game can have the best of both worlds because in that very same mission, you're going from attacking these various objectives and, and, and uh, what are the turrets or whatever in whatever open world sandboxy way you want to do and then seamlessly being funneled into a more traditional and linear uh, mission. And I think that's like, that is the magical special sauce that Halo Infinite has that I have not seen in another, in another game. And it, it helps add diversity and variety in a game that otherwise lacks it. Because we talk about how the game lacks biome diversity. Like, why is there no tundra? Why is there no desert? Why is there no jungle? These are environments that are very, we're very accustomed to seeing in Halo. Halo 5 had so much fucking diversity. It's like you were in Genesis and you're on the fucking uh, St. Helios and all these places that have so much biometric divert or biometric, so much biome diversity that you're just like, where is that in Zeta Halo? But the way they constantly transition you out of open world, into linear level, at, into this kind of storytelling, into this kind of gameplay, just seamlessly transitioning you in and out of different experiences almost makes up for that lack of diversity because the experience and the way you enjoy that otherwise samey environment is so diverse that you don't care if that makes sense. 
Also, the Forerunner levels, the Forerunner structures just look so fucking beautiful in 4K. Like, like these levels looked really cool in CE at the time, and they looked really good in Halo 3 at the time, and then they kind of redesigned everything for Halo 4 and 5, and I thought it looked fucking awesome. But now you see it with, like, 4K textures and shit. It's like, God, these infrastructures, this lighting system, and we don't even have ray tracing yet. Wait till ray tracing comes on board. Like, God damn, that shit looks really, really pretty. It's, it's nice to look at that stuff. But yeah. And let's let's wrap up general impressions with Dead Captain James's comment who says, I've been pretty vocal about how I think Gears of War is actually a better franchise than Halo, but damn, Infinite's campaign is by far the best Halo game ever made, in my honest opinion. I rank this above Gears 5, and that's saying a lot for me, lol. And then I said, glad to see you're enjoying it so much. And Cap- Dead Captain James says, I haven't even finished it yet, about eight hours in, but I'm doing every side activity, but my Spider-Man style traverse- traversal it, it takes it the game to 11. And yeah, I, I mean, dude, that, that that makes me so happy to see to, to hear you say that. And and that's the thing is, like, I try to, like, and we'll get into it when we talk about story, but I try to separate my whole, like, listen, you're a Halo 5 fanboy, Halo 5 got an unfair shake, whatever, move on with life. Um, but to see so many people be like, dude, I haven't had this much fun with Halo since 2 or 3 or whatever, you know? And they're coming back and they're loving it. Or to see people who are like, I've always liked Halo, but this game made me love Halo. It's like, okay... Clearly, this isn't just bending the knee and cucking the fanboys and simply just making the old Halo again. This is, this this is in some ways a return to form for Halo, and it is a deviation away from the Halo we saw in four and five that I loved so much. But it's not either the old Bungie games or the old three four three games. It is something entirely new when you really think about it, and. It has some of the old Bungie stuff. It has some of the old 343 stuff, but it has a lot of new as well. It's like Halo Infinite might as well have just been made by a third development company. It might have just been like the Bungie era was Halo CE through Halo Reach. The 343 era was Halos 4 through Halo Wars 2. The Halo Infinite era is this new team, team number three, because in a way it's like, yeah, Halo Infinite is like, I see what they mean by jumping on point. Story-wise, it's like eh, it's kind of a easy for anyone to jump in and get in on it. But but especially gameplay-wise, it's like, yeah, this is a great if you've never played Halo or you just haven't played Halo in a long ass time, this is a great place to jump in. And so seeing you say like this is better than Gears 5, it's like, yeah, I'm not I'm not surprised because in a way, this was a great way for Halo to reestablish itself and redefine itself. And I think that was obvious that that's what they were going for. And that's what everyone was hyped about this game going into it is because we were all ready for a new era of Halo. I get that. Do they succeeded? And it makes me it makes me so happy. To, it genuinely makes me so happy to see this. Like, um, I love Gears 5 as well. I think Gears 5 is the best Gears of War game. Uh, four or five, but probably five. Um, I, I love Gears. I, I thought the, the coalition made me go from someone who kind of didn't give a shit about Gears to someone who really appreciates Gears. And I think with Halo Infinite, 343 is kind of finally doing that with Halo, where it's satiating the OG fans, but it's also making new fans come on board. And that makes me... so Not, not to say you weren't a Halo fan, but to, but for you to go from like, oh, I like Halo, but I like Gears better, to like, I don't know, Halo Halo's pretty damn good. Like, that, in a way, it's like almost making a new fan out of you right there in that in that one style or in that one instance. But also, um, but yeah, man, I think at the end of the day, the other thing is I can't believe that of all games, Halo is the game that gave uh, that gave Xbox kind of, <laughs> in a way, the spiritual successor to Sunset Overdrive, the competitor to Sony or PlayStation's uh, Spider-Man games, because it, it, it really is true that like, running around that game with the grapple hook. The grapple hook is such an indelible 
part of the Halo experience now because of Infinite. And I, I miss the Spartan abilities from the Halo Five from Halo Five so much. The the inherent thruster and and ground pound and all that shit. I thought that stuff was such a great addition to Halo. Such a natural move for Halo. But I, the the grapple hook is so fucking good that I'm like, oh, I miss those Spartan abilities. But I'll allow it because this grapple hook is like. I, how did we ever Halo without this? Like, you talk about how Halo can be hard to go back sometimes because, like, oh, the control scheme is different in this game, or oh, this game had different equipment, or this game didn't have equipment, or this game had loadouts, and this game didn't have loadouts, and this game has Spartan abilities, and this game has Sprint. This game doesn't have Sprint, and all these things that, like, kind of separate all the Halo games, but, like, I feel like now it's going to be a thing of, like, in a few months, we'll all be like, oh, Halo Infinite's great. Kind of want to go back to Master Chief Collection, see what, see what it's like over there. I haven't played some. Halo 3 in a while, you know? And you're going to get on Master Chief Collection and be like, all right, guys, Halo is unplayable without a grapple hook. I feel like that's like where we're going to get. It's like, I don't know how to get through Halo 2's campaign without a grapple hook. Like, someone help me. And I just, like, the grapple hook is just that exciting of of a mechanic. And it's so weird because on its own, it's like, I remember when the rumor was there might be a grapple hook in the new Halo game. A lot of people were like, oh, they're just trying to do gimmicky, like, sellout shit. They're just trying to be like Just Cause. They're just trying to be like this game or that game. They're just trying to copy all the other games. It's like, I don't know, man, because, yeah, the grapple hook's been done in games a lot. The grapple hook has never been done like this. Or, or if it has, it's it, it's it's just, it's never been in, intertwined with all the other aspects of gameplay the way it has been with this. The way, like, the traditional Halo dance of, like, jumping, grenades, and, and, and guns, the way that has been just spruced up so much by throwing Grapple Hook into the mix, especially in campaign, is like, oh my god, like, I told the story last week about, like, that mission and how I got around everything by just sneaking around enemies with the Grapple Hook, hijacking a chopper from the back with a Grapple Hook, all this stuff. It's just like, that grapple hook is my best friend. And my only real lament is that I can't use it in real life because God damn it. Do I, do I love it? And do I want it? Um, okay. Let's, uh, now I guess we kind of already talked about traversal, but Mazman did write in about it. So let's read his comment. He says, took advantage of being off a couple days last week, just to finish being the campaign, including finding all the collectibles. Gotta say this game has been a great time. Never once did I feel like the grind in finding every audio log, skull or armor lock, but I haven't had this much fun since Spider-Man and Miles Morales. So there, I think that only speaks even more volumes to like what I'm saying here, where again, this is weirdly it's like is this the best shooter of the year yes suck at call of duty suck at battlefield is this the best open world game of the year yes uh suck it far cry 6 and all whatever other big open world games came out this year is this the best spider-man game of 2021 y- yeah miles morales you're lucky you came out in 2020 because i think you'd be up against spider uh, up against halo <laughs> if it uh if you know, if it, um, if it, if it weren't for that separation in, in release. Yeah, man, that, that I just, I think you want to sell someone on Halo Infinite, just be like, dude, just fuck around this open world, fight some enemies, use the battle rifle uh, and, uh, and, and play with this, uh, grapple hook. And someone will be, just give someone a control and let them do that for 10 minutes. And they'll just be like, okay, I take back every console war tweet I ever sent. I need to go buy an Xbox. Where can I get one? And you're in luck. Series S is in stock pretty much everywhere. All right let's let's jump this is where i regret not trying to structure this discussion more but let's try and touch on the story this is where we get into like severe spoiler territory my brother josiah writes in and says the game's fantastic except they just pretend that you can brush off halos four and five sweep them under the rug like they never even happened where's captain lasky you fucks at e at 343 now my brother's spitting some facts because this is where we got to get into the shit The reason why I can't just say, guys, Halo Infinite is a 10 out of 10 mic drop 
is because I can't get over the fact that like, what the fuck are Halos 4 and 5 now? What even are those games anymore? Because now they make no sense to me. I saw a lot of people saying Halo Infinite is like Halo's version of Star Wars The Force Awakens. No, it's not. Or no, 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 rather. I saw the comparison that Halo Infinite is like Halo's um, The Rise of Skywalker, you know? They made The Force Awakens, which is Halo 4. And then they made The Last Jedi, which is Halo 5. They fucked it up. Everyone hates it. Fuck you, um, Ryan Johnson. Fuck everyone. Fuck Kathleen Kennedy. Halo 5 is Star Wars The Last Jedi. And I will never be happy until someone fixes my balding head and, 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 and warms my milk before bedtime. Because I'm, I'm a petulant 87-year-old cunt. Okay, that's actually wrong. It's actually so wrong because by that logic, what we're saying here is that Halo Infinite tries so hard to undo all the shit they did in Halo 5, but that's not actually the case because I, I didn't see this coming. True to 343's word, yeah, Halo Infinite does tell the story of what happens after Halo 5. It does continue that story, but in the weirdest roundabout way. So rather than comparing Halo 4, 5, and Infinite to Star Wars 7, 8, 9. It's more like comparing Halo to Star Wars, Halo 4, 5, and Infinite to Star Wars 4, 5, and 7, where Halo 4 is like a new hope. It is a fresh new story. These characters are on this journey. You can jump in at this point and you can get a lot of the pick up on who these characters are and start from fresh at this point. You don't even have to play the original Halo. You should but you don't have to play the original Halo games. You can basically just jump in like it's your first time here. And it tells its own story and it leaves off like, fuck, where do we go from here? Then Halo 5, but it almost does tell its own self-contained story in a way. Then Halo 5 is like, uh, like um, The Empire Strikes Back, where it's like, okay, here's where shit starts picking up. It's actually exactly like Empire Strikes Back when you think about Halo 5, because it's where it's like, Okay, how can we take the things that happened in the last movie and like amp it up? And it's like shit starts getting real. It's like, wait, Cortana's still alive? She's not dead? Wait, but she is dead. But like, what is this? Oh, it's a fragment of her. Oh, she's corrupt. She got processed and she's like a fucking Promethean, basically. She's just like a, basically a corrupt fragment of her that is just in, that just has the fucking, it's like trying to take the mantle of responsibility and enforce the, the, the entire world, entire universe to bend to her will. Like this is fucking insane. And the stakes get very high and master chief gets captured. And this other team is like just dispersed trying to figure out what the fuck happened. And the good guys are losing and the forces are being wiped out. And now they're up against the biggest threat of all time. And they're spread thin and there's no way they can overcome the obstacles. What will our heroes do? And then we spent six years waiting for the return of the Jedi, waiting to see how they were going to kill Darth Vader, waiting to see how the good guys were going to win, waiting to see how they destroy the Death Star this time. But it never came. Instead, instead of getting uh, a return of the Jedi, we jumped to Star Wars The Force Awakens. And now we're going back and we're like, okay, new adventure, new story. We got to talk about the Banished. So if you play, I think the people who be the most confused are the people who never played Halo 5. And then we're like, let me play it leading up to Halo Infinite because I want to I know what's happening. They played Halo 5. They beat it like a week before Infinite came out. And then they played Infinite right when it came out. Those are the people who are probably the most fucking confused right now because it's like, all right, okay, so Cortana is basically controlling the guardians and she's getting all the created to side with her. And they're basically turning on humanity. And now the UNSC is like completely fucking 
submissive to this to this person and like what are they going to do and these these fucking guardians are like monitoring every planet and they can just basically wipe out humanity if they make one wrong move and like oh my god how are they going to what are they going to do and then like the next the next chapter is like okay so Atriox is this guy he's like the banished leader and he beats Master Chief in a fight and now Master Chief's got to stop the banished but I think Atriox might be dead but there's this guy named Eshram he was also a captain he fought with the banished he fought with Eshram and now he's going to prove himself in battle by by defeating Master Chief and you know Cortana's gone she's been gone for so long but we got this new AI and her name's the Weapon and there's this new guy the the pilot what what you you want to know what happened to, to to Locke, you want to know what happened in Jameson Locke, who we last saw, you know, recouping on Sanghelios with with Doctor Halsey and Master Chief and the Arbiter, trying to recoup and be like, "What the fuck are we gonna do? How are we gonna stop Cortana?" You want to know what happened to that guy? Shut up. Oh, you want to know what happened to Captain Lasky, the the head of the 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 UNSC uh, Infinity? Shut the fuck up. Stop asking questions. Anyway, okay. So they're on this new Halo ring, and um, and there's the Banished again. And the Promethean, I don't know what the fuck happened to Promethean. They're just gone. Fuck them. They're just, you know, the 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 Halo fanboys didn't like them, so that's why they're gone in the universe. That makes sense, right? And it's just like, I, I, I can't help but as a Halo 4 and 5 fan be like, what the fuck happened? Like, what what are we talking about? And that's my initial response is I can't help but be torn between like this game has a fucking amazing first level, an amazing opening that cinematic with with Master Chief and, and, and Atriox is like, oh, my God, I don't think I've ever seen more like three minutes of, of, of choreographed CGI that's made me want to just squirt as hard as this has. Like this is fucking mind blowingly cool. That first level is amazing. It's so it's so incredibly captivating it immediately just makes you like, I just want to play this game forever. And then it starts to sink in. It's like, wait, but what about this? But what about that? And the weird thing is the game works backwards. It's like if Star Wars The Force Awakens tried to also tell you the story of The Last Jedi while it told the story of The Force Awakens. You know, it's like Kylo Ren is just like, I'll make it up to you, grandfather, holding Darth Vader's burnt mask. And you're going, wait, Darth Vader's dead? What the fuck happened to Darth Vader? I didn't see episode six because they didn't make it because they just jumped from five to seven. And that's exactly what we have here with 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 Halo Infinite. It's like I'm like, what the fuck? Now, here's where I'll concede a little bit. The more I played the game, the the less awful about this particular thing I felt, because the game continues, especially if you're collecting audio logs and paying attention to everything, continues to let you in and cue you in on what happened. And a lot of it is resolved, but either a not in the way I would like, or b not enough of it. You know, um, where like you pick up an audio log and they're like, uh, Jameson Locke is blah, blah, blah on his own mission doing whatever. And you're like, oh, okay, Locke. Oh, they mentioned Locke. He's still alive. He's still out there. Oh, thank God. I hope Locke is doing great. Can I see him? No. Okay. Whatever. At least he's okay. And then you pick up like that first audio log you pick up in the game is like talking about like what happened to the UNSC Infinity and and, 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 um, and Lasky and like where the fuck are they? And it's like, oh, okay. So they're kind of, they're touching on the events of Halo 5 and like what happened afterwards. So, and the game does, you know, the game, obviously, if you're listening to this, spoilers, eventually gets very deep into what happened to Cortana. What is her story? Cortana's in the game. She's present in the game. She talks in the game. You see her. Chief gets to interact with her one last time. All this shit. So it's like they didn't avoid it entirely. It's not just like fuck Darth Vader, Kylo Ren only. It's like Kylo Ren and we'll touch on what happened with Darth Vader along the way. And 
it's like because the new story is so cool because the banished are so cool eshram is so cool um the new what the sword warrior fucking elite guy i forget his name is so goddamn cool because you know the weapon is such an awesome ai character because zeta halo is so interesting and fun to explore because i want to know about where the fuck is atriox because i played halo wars 2 and i love that character atriox is the coolest villain in all of halo history like i'm like okay i'm 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 along for the ride i want to know this new story too but they're just slowly doling out like the in the blank moments. It's like Halo 7 is telling Halo 7's story and also filling in the gaps between Halo 5 and 6, which we never got along the way. I, I can I can forgive it to some extent, but we still end the game like, so is Captain Lasky dead or alive? What happened to him? Like the Infinity is just gone? Like what the fuck? And also like, where's the rest of Osiris team? And like, what happened with blue team? Where are they? We know that they went off and they got separated and they did a thing. But like, I know if you read shadow of reach and if you read, um, what's that game? Bad or that book, bad blood, you learn a little bit about like what some of Osiris, you know, what happened to buck, you know, what happened a little bit, you know, with blue team after you read, um, uh, shadow of reach and all this stuff. But it's like, guys, we want the game to tell the story. We want the game to let the player know what happened after, the uh empire strikes back because that's a pretty big cliffhanger that's a pretty big like where are they gonna go next you can't just sweep all that under the rug i think the game does a nice job of wrapping up cortana and knowing what happened to cortana that's cool the game does a bad job of saying what the fuck happens with lasky and halsey and osiris and Locke and and, and blue team and all these guys where's arbiter we end the fucking we ended Halo Five on saying Helios, and I know there's a Halo book um, that goes over that actually because I know there's like a whole scene. Maybe that is Bad Blood where that happens, but there's like a whole scene where like Master Chief and uh, Arbiter like bro out and like reconnect and everything after not seeing each other for so long. But like guys, most people aren't gonna read that book, and even if you do read those other books and the comics and everything in between, it doesn't tell you everything. And I'm sorry, but the cliffhanger of Halo Five is just too great. For you to just fully ignore some of that shit and be like, here's Halo 7. And that's my gripe with the game. Because if we're just talking about the story that Halo Infinite wants to tell, it's really fucking good. And the voice acting is really amazing, as always. And the writing is so good. They tried to scale Chief back and make him a little more stoic, like the OG fans like. And they're good at that. He's still a little more talkative than Bungie's Master Chief. But I've always been okay with that because, god damn it, if you read a fucking Halo book, you'll know. Master Chief is not as quiet as he is in Halo 1 whatever also when it's a game as intimate as halo infinite it's like he, he's gotta talk and sometimes they do a really good job of using his silence to say a lot so i think they do an excellent job with that the weapon is a fucking awesome new character she's so bubbly she's so cute she's so contagiously fun to be to, to be around in that game it is great i fucking love her character she's so great and the whole reveal her arc it, it gets dark, it gets fucking sad, it, it, it pushes Halo kind of into a darker place than what we're used to seeing. The whole, like, her objective is to be, is to trick the system into believing she's Cortana so they can help lock her down, capture her, bring Cortana back to the UNSC for deletion. And then after that happens, the weapon, this new AI, her objective is to just be deleted. I think that's such a fucking cool premise, but then the story kind of picks up on this, like, See, because this is this is where I'm so conflicted, and this is why I want to wait to talk about this game, because I'm like, I still don't know how I feel. I need one or two more playthroughs to kind of get my feelings under wraps a little more, because on the one hand, I'm like, okay, 
that's kind of annoying. You're just like, oh, apparently, like, Master Chief already knew who the weapon was, but now, like, they're reacquainting them. And it's like, I didn't see any of that. What is that? But then as you play the game and you understand as the blanks are filled in and you see what happened and what the objective was, it's like, I, I kind of like, especially when we're talking about the Halo Infinite beats and not the Halo 5, 6 beats, I really like the whole, like, you have amnesia as the player. Let me catch you up to speed on what you missed in between these games. Like that stuff can be really cool, especially as, as those reveals pay off as it's like, Oh, that's who the weapon is. Oh, that's the, and like the scene, the, the part where like master chief is like trying to delete her because he doesn't trust her because he knows how bad he fucked up and how much he feels responsible for what happened with Cortana and how like, all that loss, all that humanity, like everything going on is his fault. And like they tell the story about how Cortana was like so corrupt that there was this installation, this UNSC installation with 74 Spartans and a bunch of UNSC um, military on it. And Cortana told them to obey and they and, and they didn't abide. They tried to like um, they tried to resist. And then she just had her guardian destroy the planet, destroy the installation. It killed all 74 fucking Spartans. That's insane. The fucking part where they explain like, why does Atriox hate Cortana? He tried to work with her. He tried to, they tried to like have a mutualistic kind of relationship. And then she ends up destroying Atriox's home world and everything. And it's like, dude, that's fucking badass. I want to play the halo game where I see that happen. Because that is that is like jaw-dropping some of this shit. I want to see Cortana be that powerful and that evil. And it almost sucks. That's like in Halo 5, we get to see her built up as evil. And in Halo 7, we get to see her redeem herself as she goes away for the last time. But we don't get to see the middle part where she's like unleashed pure evil doing all the bad shit. We don't get to see the part where she destroys Aatrox's homeworld or kills the 74 Spartans. We just know she was a bad girl and at the end of the day, she learns her lessons and, and it fades away. Like fucking New Goblin in, in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3. It's just like, I don't know, man. I, I kind of wanted to see that stuff. But like, it's it's crazy. Like the scenes where Master Chief is like trying to delete her, the way they convey that stuff. It's fucking like, whoa, what's going on here? It's amazing storytelling. It's amazing like telling the narrative through gameplay. The, the fucking levels are awesome despite being kind of samey and even sometimes kind of doing similar objectives. The story is so captivating and the, and the gunfights are so fun that it's like at no point was I ever like it got to a point where I was like, I'm aware that I'm just doing this thing where I have to find the seed, put in the door, unlock this door and move on with the level. I'm aware that I've done this like 10 times in this game, but I don't care. This is so much fun. And I'll do it again. That's how good this game is. It's just it's weird like that. I will say in terms of the new cast, I love the weapon. I love at the end there. Master Chief, like that that whole experience with Chief having his final interaction with Cortana. I say final, you know, he had his final interaction with Cortana in Halo 4, so we'll we'll see. But he has his final interaction with Cortana and it's 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 so like beautiful and it's kind of sad. And of course, just like Halo 4, unless you don't have a heart, you choke up and you cry at that moment and it's just so it's so beautiful and it's such it's so cathartic to be like, "Oh, finally after all this time, like, cause, cause that's the thing about Halo Five. It's, it's so sad. It's like hey, Chief is like trying to deal with the loss of Cortana, and he's just like going rogue and going away from his mission, and being like, I don't, I don't care. I know I'm the guy who always gets the job done, who always takes orders. But like, I, I need, I need to find her. I need to figure out what's going on with her. I need to follow this voice and and figure out because I can fix this. I can change this. I can make her better. And that's like all of Halo Five is he's chasing that. He's chasing that. He thinks he can turn things around. And then Halo Infinite is so God. It's, the, it's such a fucking good. Pay off because you finally see Cortana and it's just like he realizes he's like 
in not stopping you when I had the chance, I made everything worse. And I take responsibility for that. And all this weight is on my shoulders. And Cortana realizes her the error of her ways and her mistake. And she sees what a monster she's been. And she knows the only thing she can do at this point is to basically go, it's to stop this bad guy, go the fuck away and leave humanity alone because she she's, she's only made things worse. And this like moment of like, we both had the best intentions. We were both trying to look out for each other. We both failed each other. We both failed our missions. And now this is it. We have to say goodbye. And all the while the weapon is just there seeing this being like, Oh man, this is like who I'm supposed to be. This is me. Like I'm, I'm an exact clone of this person. I'm supposed to be Cortana. I'm capable of everything this person, this AI can do, but I'm also me while also being a clone. And I can also be different. I can also, you know, I can also, make better choices and and accept my fate. I know my time is limited. I only have seven years before rampancy. Like I, I understand I can try to do good. I can try to help chief serve chief, serve the UNSC and, and be what Cortana wished she had been. But at the end of the day, you know, I have a fucking expiration date too. And I will one day go away too. And then like, just the end with like, I, Hey, I never, I, I was never given a name. They just referred to me as the weapon. And it's like, do you think, do you think she'd be okay with that? And it's like just kind of alluding to the fact that she's like, I, I am Cortana. I, 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 that's what I am. I'm, I'm a Cortana model AI. Can I go by that name? And it just kind of ending with like the assumed name, but not actually saying anything. It's like fucking 10 out of 10. Amazing writing. This game was so fun. Just for, You could have played this game with cutscenes turned off, volume turned off. I have no idea what's happening in the narrative. And I still would have given it a perfect score because it's so much fun to play. And now on top of it, you're going to give me that kind of story. I'm like, ah. I would be a monster if I experienced that narrative and then said, well, they didn't totally serve Halo 5 right, so fuck this game, bad score. Like, I, I can't say that because it's just so good. It's so good. It's such a rewarding ending. It's such a powerful message. It's, it's that it's that kind of heartwarming that I think 343, and I don't say this, this is taboo, I don't give a shit, 343 does way better than Bungie. They are so much better at the emotional storytelling. And don't get me wrong, Bungie's games have that in some respect, and some of the old novels have that. But I think 343 does that better than anyone. I think Halo 4 and Halo Infinite do that better than anything in the Halo universe. It is so incredibly powerful, those moments between Cortana and Chief. And God, like being able, I don't know how they did it, because like should, on paper, you should be like, Oh, so what? Cortana and Chief say goodbye again and she dies again. Now we're just retreading Halo 4. That's cheap. It's like, no, 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 no. This isn't like the Death Star being destroyed for the seventh time. This is like, th th they justify this. Like, it, it can happen. I'll allow it. Because the way they do it and the way they justify it and the way they work it into the narrative, it's like, I don't know if this was always your plan from the start. It probably wasn't, but <laughs> this works. It fucking works. And and having to say goodbye to Cortana and feeling that finality this time and having that sense that, like, I know we said goodbye to her last time. And I know in Halo 5 it was like, wow, she really is gone. Kind of seeing this not really Cortana corrupt fragment. It's like, no, no, we, we never got our proper goodbye. And this is it. And it's like, God damn, does it work? It works so fucking well. It is so cathartic. And... It's why I walk away from the game like, okay, so I'm really interested in learning. Is Aatrox really dead or what's up with this time travel thing? Or like, wh where are we? I want to know about that. I don't love the idea of time travel in Halo. Let's try to make that not a thing if possible. But where are we? Also, the Endless with the with the Harbinger, like, this is a new race. This is a new enemy faction. I'm for this. Aatrox, is he dead? Is he not dead? Like, all, all these questions that I'm, like, excited to learn through additional story content. 
But then still the things from Halo 5 where I'm just like, why did the art style just randomly change back? <laughs> like, how do we explain that? And w w where's Captain Lasky? And where's Palmer? And where's Halsey? And where's Arbiter? And where's Osiris? And where's Locke? Like, come on, guys. I want to know these things. Like, I don't give a shit how much the neckbeards in their 40s that loved Halo 2 in 2004 because they listened to Three Days Grace and drank fucking Rockstar Energy in the back of their 2004 Civic SI. I don't care how much those guys didn't like Halo 5. The thing is, 343, you guys made that game and you should be damn proud of it because it was a great game and you told a really cool story. It was imperfect, but it had a great setup and it was going in a great direction and I really want that payoff. I want to know what was your story like? Hey, take your creative freedom and... and, and Tell us what happened in this world you created. But instead, I feel like they gave us what they had to give us. They told us a beautiful brand new story. But some of the really important things that I'm waiting to hear on from Halo 5 just kind of fell through the cracks. And that's like, that's my hang up with Halo Infinite. Like, I'm not going to gripe on the lack of the biome diversity too much or lack of enemy diversity too much. Because as I want to talk about as we talking about the future of Halo Infinite, that's all coming. We already know the next expansion is endless. We already know Bonnie Ross and Phil Spencer told us Halo Infinite is a platform. It's like Destiny in a way where it's like, then we're not going to get Halo, the Halo Infinite 2 next. We're going to get this expansion that goes into Halo Infinite and then that expansion that goes into Halo Infinite. They'll add more multiplayer maps. They'll add a new area of Zeta Halo to explore. They'll probably add a tundra. They'll probably add a desert. They'll probably add this enemy faction, this enemy faction. Who knows? Maybe the Prometheans come back at some point and that's great and I'm so excited for all that. And so in that regard, I'm like, I enjoyed this game so much without all that content and knowing that that stuff's inevitably coming down the road. I can't complain. I can't be mad, but I am a little hung up over like, what about all those unsolved things from like, I understand there's unsolved things from Halo Infinite that can be explored in future stories. But what about Halo 5? Because now you have unresolved arcs and things from Halo 5. And I'm just like, well, God, man. And that's kind of my hang up. But that's why I say, like, if I can look at this game solely in its own context with the Halo Infinite story, with the Halo Infinite gameplay, this game's a masterpiece. It is a 10 out of 10. It is fantastic. Stop what you're doing. Play this game. But if I have to look at it through the lens of this is the sequel to Halo 5, I'm like, oof, it just needs a little bit more. I just I wish it had a little bit more. And maybe they will go back and, and address these things at some point. I really hope they do. But um, that that's my hangup. So talking about the future, my brother writes in and says, the game's great, but it's small and feels small. Can't wait for more maps, more modes to find out how to play, how they plan on expanding it. Do you think it will come as smaller campaigns like Hivebusters for Gears, or do you think it will be like multiplayer maps and modes, kind of sort of for the further the plot, like Fortnite? I don't know how to talk about Fortnite because I'm not familiar with how that works, but I think it's going to be more like Destiny, where it's like, hey, we've added a new segment of the map, and now you can explore the game further into this new territory. And there's these new campaigns. I don't know if you'll select a different campaign from the menu. Um, but I think it will be more like trying to expand what's already in the game rather than like trying to add a second campaign that's totally separate from the first one, like Hive Busters does with Gears 5. That's my guess. Count Skyly says, I really hope you can kick out the campaign. I really hope they can kick out a campaign, a DLC campaign every year. I think it's just wishful thinking. Every other year is more likely. But can you imagine the world where every November-ish we get a new section of the Halo Infinite campaign to explore and play? And I was the champ that felt thruster. And I was in, in the camp that felt thruster should have been made inherent but after seeing how fast the movement is in this game i'm actually totally fine with the set of abilities however they need to get the halo 5 playlist with a limited thrust for every halo infinite into halo infinite for one of their future uh fracture events hey i'm all for that count skyla so yeah i think i think um i, I think going into the future 
I'm not worried about the content. I know for a lot of people the concern is there's not enough maps, there's not enough multiplayer modes. Fix the progression. Fix where's Forge? Where's custom games? Where's more enemies diversity of fight? Where are new biomes? All of these things, those are fair criticisms. I'm not judging anyone who's ha- who has those criticisms because I want a complete package when I get a game. That's fine. I get that. But all those things will be addressed and will be added, and I'm fine with it. And I understand this game is meant to be a 10-year platform and not a one-and-done game. So as a Destiny player and as someone who understands this concept, I see this and I'm like, okay, that is fine. I am okay with consistently getting more Halo content probably on a on a yeah i don't know destiny does it every 12 months i don't know it probably will be every two years or so that's fine but i'm more than happy with waiting every two years for more and more content to expand this game and flesh it out even further i can deal with that and it just i don't know in summation there's there's so much to talk about uh, if you guys have more you want to throw in feel free to write in but um well, I guess let's end with this. Let's talk a little bit just about difficulty and like the approach to the game. Now, I played it on normal. 343 said that was the intended difficulty. I found normal to be just right, maybe a little easy, but um, I just wanted to experience the story and play through the game. I'll worry about collectibles later. I'll worry about the legendary achievement later. I just wanted to experience the gameplay in its purest form and the story. And that's why I did it that way. But EA's King writes in and says, I don't know if I got good, but legendary is now easy in this game. The coatings that you get from the lockers are nice and you can look red and it would be great if they added flood campaign expansion because i think attacking the flood would put them out of their misery and i also think headhunting halo needs some grammar release so i also forgot my last piece of information but the game on legendary it's pretty easy yeah i've heard from multiple people that this is i mean it's not easy but legendary is in this game is more manageable than it is in some other halo games i don't know that 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 boss with the uh what the fuck i always forget his name the elite with this with the two energy swords I just forget his name, but that boss fight, I dread how that would run on Legendary because I actually died a lot on Normal fighting him, so I don't know about that, but I don't know. I found Normal to be a little bit on the easy side. I think the next time I play it, I'll just go straight for Legendary because I want that that uh, Legendary achievement and that Legendary ending, but um, I don't know, man. Like This is a game, my main save, I'm, I'm happy to keep it on Normal because I just want Halo to be fun and casual. I don't want to be like sweat while I play it, and I, I always do the solo legendary run on everything except Halo 2. I've never done that one for some reason. But I don't know. Like, like I have the most fun with Halo when I'm just kind of, like, casually enjoying it. And for me, normal, sometimes heroic like that is the sweet spot for me. Yeah. I I think if you just want to really experience this game in its purest form, I recommend normal difficulty. I know a lot of people did heroic because that was Bungie's old preferred difficulty. And, you know, legendary you get the legendary ending and you get the achievement so i get why a lot of people go for legendary but unless you're like super fucking sweaty i feel like for the first go around um uh, normal's a pretty good way to go that's just my personal recommendation based on my experience but guys these are my this is my general thoughts on halo infinite i i feel like we could have gone on so much longer and talked so much more about this but um i'm sure we'll be talking about this game a lot for a long time to come so I really look forward to learning more and more about what you guys thought about the story as more and more people complete it. Well, more you guys think about the game as more of you guys play it. Um, and, you know, let me know if I sound like a fucking asshole or, or like a dumbass or what, whatnot. But um, I, I don't know, man. I, this game, super fun from start to finish. It is a great story. It is very well envisioned and focused and polished in all the ways that matter the most. And I, that's the thing that impresses me the most is just the fact that this game is an open world game that still feels like a linear Halo experience. And I know everyone's like, oh, it's just like uh, Assault, uh, Assault on Control Room or whatever fucking, uh, no, it's um, 
It's all like it's like the Halo mission from Halo Combat Evolved. I'm like, I don't know. To me, it feels like this all new open world thing with classic Halo linear levels mixed in. But that's it for me, guys. I am tapped out. This is a long episode. I gotta get to editing. But thank you all so much for listening. I, I look forward to your thoughts on 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 Halo Infinite. And uh, don't forget to write in with your top five games you played of 2021. I'm looking forward to doing that in our final episode of the year. But uh, until next week, guys, have a great one and uh, empower your dreams. Uh-huh.